And we're back again for another episode of Spitting Seeds. We're live. We're we're on. What is that? On what is that? We have like a not track, but two in a row already. Yeah. And pretty consistent. So we're we're getting very consistent. But before we start, couple uh, mainly one household announcement. So we're thinking, you know, we do an episode. A lot of the time, we say, you know, silly, maybe dumb stuff. And it would be nice to hear back from people like, hey, what Roman a said lot. here was kind of smart. Or most of the time, like, hey, what Vice said here was silly or whatever. And we're like, how could we get those comments, you know, or complaints or whatever from people? Or maybe compliments. Then we decided that after every episode, we're going to post on our Spitting Seeds Instagram, which is spitting underscore seeds uh, Instagram page. And after e- every episode, we're going to do a post for that episode. So if you have any suggestions, complaints, concerns, compliments, head on over to that post, and you can waste them there, and maybe we can, you know, we can respond or whatever on the next episode, or kind of just a way to hear back from or, or 10 people, just, from 10 people that are listening. Them. <laughs> just, just yeah, right they away, say like them. silly stuff, we just block them. But we got another episode today, I'm excited, a lot has been going on around us, and today... Why are, we, why are you guys uh, private? On the Instagram page? That yeah. would be changed. Because oh. what if, let's say, we don't want somebody to follow, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but today we got with us Mario Manchik, Roman Baydock. Greetings and salutations. I will yeah, be Roman that. number two. No, you're not Roman number one. You're the big Roman. We got big Roman and little Roman. Oh, we got big Roman and petite Roman. Well, you're the little Roman. You're the no, he's the big Roman. I, he gets I'm all the b- rebounds. Big Roman, yeah. And stuff. Yeah, elbows. Yeah, and then we got Little Roman, Derek Arch. Yes. Little Rome right here. Two weeks in a row now. Two weeks in a row. And then we got a new guest with us today. And the goal is to have like new guests, like I mean, not every episode, but like whatever. If somebody wants to pop in, kind of like, hey, come have a conversation with us. And it is Serge Polishuk. Hello. Serge, who? If somebody asks you, Serge, who are you? What do you do? Time huh? out. You need to start smoking, bro. Your voice ain't deep enough. Yeah, you think so? No, I don't. You can't. No, lately I've been like playing with Sarah a lot, so I have to do like high pitch voice all the time. So maybe that's affecting. <laughs> but Serge, dude. so before people, you know, I- introduce yourself. Your Tell us about yourself. <laughs> like I'm just like a basic Ukrainian dude who drives like a Toyota, lives in Auburn. You know, married, two kids. That's not just a Toyota, bro. You gotta. That's a Highlander, boy. It's a Forerunner. Is it a forerunner? Yeah. yeah, dude, come on, don't disrespect. What kind of Russian are you, bro? I don't even know your Toyota. It's like a Highlander. But is it a clean title? Yeah, it's clean title. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not a basic Ukrainian. <laughs> I like my cars like I like my house, clean. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? Uh, Why are you here? I was going to hang out with these guys. Uh, currently, I'm I'm a middle school teacher at Fedway School District. Um, so any specific school or, well, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll just keep that in a oh, general got sense. Okay, gotcha. So nobody tries to track <laughs> me down <laughs> in case something slips, you know, <laughs> what'd you do before? Cause, okay. I don't know if I, I didn't even ask you that before, but weren't you an accountant before? So I worked, I did payroll at Nordstrom for like six months, maybe. Um, and I just kind of like realized through doing that is I had a really hard time just sitting at a computer and just working, I needed to be like in front of people, um, just be more active. And so, um, when my wife graduated 
um, law school. Hey. I just went back to school and I said, you know what, you know, she, she could work now and I'll just get my um, degree in teaching. And I kind of did that and I haven't looked back. When you did payroll at Nordstrom, uh, do, did you have a degree uh, for that as well? So you went to school again or? Yeah, so I had a bachelor's when I was working at Nordstrom. And then when I got my teaching degree, I got a, a master's in teaching. So mm-hmm. um, it was it wasn't it was probably like a year, maybe like four or five, well, probably about five quarters of additional classes. Um, it wasn't too hard. So, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what, what are you teaching? So I always kind of want to do either current events or U.S. history. Currently, I'm teaching um, ancient history, so more of like the Roman Empire. Um, that's kind of most nice. of the Roman. On. Dang, dude. Have you heard of Dan Carlin? Do you know who that is? No. What? You should listen to There's a There's a podcast called Hard, Hardcore History. You should give it a listen, man. I um, It's not as good as Spitting Seas, but it's up there. John Green's my guy. Really? Yeah. Oh, he's, he, he is good. Daniela Bellelli. Is my number one, but not many people have heard of him, and he's hard to listen to because he's got a thick Italian accent. But number two is uh, Hardcore History. You should check it out, man. I'll get your number. Tell me what you think because it's like I when I tell people about it, it blows their mind. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Um, please excuse the little interruption. Nick just rolled up with some watermelon, nice. of course. Watermelon. Okay, well, yeah, okay. Back to the episode. Uh, and then, are you doing any coaching? Because I know you did before. Are you still doing any coaching? Yeah. Um. Actually, one of the reasons I was doing a little bit of coaching at Auburn Mountain View, um, and I just kind of liked what I was doing at the time. But I was also, um, most schools have uh, certain parameters set up for kids that they won't be able to play sports unless they're meeting a certain grade or have mm-hmm. so many missing work. So my first year when I was at Auburn Mount View, I worked with some of those students, um, and I was like, man, I could do this. This is easy, right? This is right up my alley, and I enjoyed it. And actually, it's one of the reasons why um, I made that step. Nice. What do you coach? Well, it was football. Uh, when I was at Auburn Mount View, I did C-team. I was the defensive coordinator for that. And then currently, I'm the defensive coordinator for the JV team at a middle school in Federal Just to clarify for people who Wait, don't know, we're talking about football, right? Yeah. Football. Okay. Which middle school? No, you say you can't disclose oh, that in I'm case just, it's I'm just trying bro. to keep it. Dude, <laughs> that was keep it general. To keep <laughs> I was uh I was I was DC. No, I was uh defensive coordinator, well, freshman team for say Camp Camp Meridian 2 years ago. It was pretty dope. It was so fun, dude. I know what happened. Nothing happened. I I got married. There's a scandal. Well, before I got married, no, there was no scandal, <laughs> but it was Dude, like one of the most fun things, enjoyable things I've ever did in my life. Volunteer, I volunteered my first year. I met up with one of the coaches, and he kind of like you know interviewed me. But it was I was probably going to get hired even before the interview because I don't think a lot of guys want to like just volunteer for free. Mm-hmm. So, but volunteering it was it was super fun. You get connected with the players, and it's just doing something you freaking love, like football. I grew up watching playing football since like sixth grade so doing that later on and just connecting with the dudes and like it, it dude it was the most one of the most fun things i've ever done in my life do you feel like surgery like when you, you influence uh guys more when you're coaching or let's say in class because because in class you spend some uh well not necessarily do you spend a lot more time let's say because you see them every single day or let's say football season let's say shorter do you feel like you can influence them more as a teacher or as a coach because i'm thinking coach is more short term 
I think probably more as a coach because, like, when you're in the classroom, it's pretty structured. Where you're as a coach, like, there's so much more lessons on the field to be learned than there is in the classroom, which I know it sounds kind of weird, but, like, the date of when the U.S. Constitution was written is going to be irrelevant to a kid getting up from a big hit and, like, saying, hey, I made this mistake, um, or, I, you know, I dropped this ball, and I got to come back and just forget about it, right? So um, I feel like on the football field or basketball, whichever, I feel like you gain a lot more life lessons, um, and I think that um, you can really kind of, like, mentor a kid more, like, on a playing field as opposed to a classroom, where a classroom, you know, when a kid's sitting there and he has, um, look, I'll give you one example. I had this kid who was a... is a really low reader. And so throughout the year, I, I just got him a ton of books about sports because he told me about these athletes. And like, for example, Kobe and Kobe had a book out. So I was getting him all these books. And then throughout the year, he kind of stopped reading. I was like, hey, man, what's going on? He, he raised his reading score level. And he said, you know, he said, honestly, when I go home, it's not celebrated for me to read. Like my dad and mom, they don't care. Like they'll play music. They'll, they'll you know, even sometimes be like, put that book away. Go, you know, walk the dog or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, class is one thing, but I feel like on the football field or the basketball court or whatever, um, they just get more interaction of like, um, how can I say this? Of like a positive role model mm-hmm. as opposed to like somebody they might be living with home that might not even be their real dad and might not treat him well or whatnot. That could be, let's say, a good segue because you came up uh, a couple times and that's like for everybody. Let's say, obviously got a baby girl right now so the whole like fatherhood and all that stuff raising a ca- uh, child been coming up a lot and, like thinking a lot more than before let's say f- let's say Sergio your opinion and everybody when it comes to what do you guys plans let's say for you know for some let's say they don't have kids and Sergio you have your own kids now between are you planning private school public school pros and cons of each I I would uh, I would do public school I think um so I was my, my parents tried to homeschool me for a year it didn't work I'm I'm a social kid I like to get into fights I like playing sports all of that kind of stuff but um I uh, even at work I'm an electrician even even at work um you can you can you can smell you can see you can um you can spot a homeschooled child a mile away they don't get the important social skills and um even like a, like a private school, I feel like I would not want my child meeting a a person. Like in the public school, this it's like a rainbow. You meet any kind, all the kinds of people. You learn to interact with them. You learn things to say, not to say. You learn how to like uh, socially manipulate. I don't want to say it like harshly, but socially manipulate people to get what you want. All of that in a lot of different people, but in a private school. You are dealing with just people who have money, and in a homeschool, you just, you know, you're just getting the material. In in my opinion, and I've like even, even back in the day when I did other things in the fire department, we had kids who did homeschool. I feel like um, they're still not all like they're socially. I feel like a public school. I'm a big advocate. Like I want to send my kids to public school. Like I'm a Christian, and there's a lot of sin in public school, but it's better that kids learn to deal with that. And instead of just getting slapped in the face with it when they're 18 years old and not having any kind of tools or any kind of coping mechanisms or any way to deal with things like that. Does that make sense? 
No, it makes sense. Uh, but I think that's like the the big argument is the do you want the kids to be uh, to go to you know learn that stuff when they're in in seventh grade or you know when they're older and they'll look, I guess they have form their own opinion on things rather than let's say he's in sixth grade. I know like the you know a lot of stories. I'm sure Sergio has you know I better stories. Yeah, and we're uh, yeah. his opinion like oh, do you want the kid to be offered let's say. Smoke some weed when he's 18. He's like, hey, no, I got, I got to worry about college, my career, whatever. So I'm not going to do stupid stuff. Or do you want a kid that's, say, in sixth grade and his friend's like, hey, here, smoke this. When is it easier for him to say no? I mean, I've always been advocated of public school, but I, I am interested to hear Serge's opinion about that. Well, like my kids, they go to a private school. Um, a public school <laughs> teacher with his kids in a private school. <laughs> hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why a um, we want to keep our kid. Can't my accent just come out? <laughs> my kid, our kids together, and they're able to attend the same school. So that's one. So I have to drop them off in different places. Um, also, for like they go to Christian Faith Center. Um, I think when we first enrolled them, their ELA and math uh, state scores were like around eighty-eight, ninety percent. Where my school, it's like thirty percent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a lot – it doesn't have to do with, like, maybe the kids that go to school and whatnot. I think it's – the classes are smaller. Mm-hmm. So, like, my kid's, like, in a 10 or 11 kids per class. Mm-hmm. Like, I have classes that have, like, 31 kids, right? And so the other, the other um, big thing when it comes to that, kids just um, – when they're young, you kind of want them to get ahead. And I feel like my child who's in kindergarten, he reads like at a second grade level, right? Mm-hmm. Where today at my school that I'm at, um, <laughs> I've had, I think last year, if I remember, we have this like iReady test, which some of your kids might be taking at any school. I had at least, I want to say 45 kids who read at three grades lower. So, like, you're thinking of, like, seventh graders, they're reading at, like, third grade level, right? And all of the content they're getting, they're getting it at sixth grade, seventh grade level, so they're not comprehending a lot of it. And it's just this, like, almost like this freeway of, like, failure. Do you know, I got a question. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, well, I'm sure you go to, like, I guess student-led conferences, say, in your kid's school. I want to know, like, a reaction of kids to say learning from private school versus like public school. What what is that kind of like reaction just, not reaction like their I guess reaction to like say reading cuz or reading or learning or something like new material how they respond to say hey you got to read this or you got to do this or you got to do this homework or you got to like an assignment for the day kind of uh, maybe you don't have say as much uh I guess so, like at Federal School District, uh, a lot of homework is not graded. So, if your teacher gives you so much homework to take home, they're not going to do it. It's not going to impact their grade. Mm-hmm. So, many students, they catch on to that. They're like, I'm not going to do this. It's not graded. Mm-hmm. Or my kid's teacher, she hounds him, right? She's like, where's this? Where's this? Where's this? And he comes home, and he's like, he needs to get it done. But at the same time, it like maybe it's also because of the kid. What if it's a kid that gets hounded so much and just hates learning, right? Mm-hmm. And the teacher's going to, like, take his confidence and whatnot, where another kid's like, hey, you know, maybe he's a slow beginner, but eventually they'll catch up. Um, the way, like, I try to explain to people sometimes when they're like, he's like, well, I can't get this. I'm four grade levels behind. And I'll say something like, well, you know, let's say you start playing basketball yesterday, but you want to join the team, and these other kids have been playing for a long time. You're just going to have to work harder. You're going to have to catch up, 
right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, that sports analogy only goes so far with kids who like sports. Yeah. Some kids just don't want to do it. When did they – my bad. When did they start – because I went to to school in Federal Way District. I went to school in Sohali Middle School. Um, And I think we – our homework still got graded. When did they start, like, implementing kind of, like, not grading or, like – or part of – or, like, certain assignments don't get graded or how does it work? When you say homework doesn't get graded. Surgery. I was going to say, probably as soon as Roman graduated, that's when they started. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's crazy because that's like uh, A for effort type of thing. You know, it's not, not, it's like we don't want to say, yeah, participation trophies. That's That's literally. I think that's a big move that happened, I think, all throughout, I don't know, maybe in the last five, I don't want to say 10 years, but maybe in the last five, six years. Just for a quick example, even at. at our old church, they had like a teen program, you know, Petrskova. And I remember when I was going through that program, it was like home. There was homework and it was graded, you know, either mm-hmm. learning a verse or something. And if you didn't, and the, the teachers were still the OGs from Ukraine. It wasn't the young people there yet. Oh, would they slap you with the ruler? They'd either do that or they legit call your parents and be like, "Hey, he didn't oh. do this. He didn't do that." And then you, you know, you'd, you'd get you'd mm-hmm. get some when you get home. <laughs> but then when I was involved with teaching. It was a big decision across the board to say, hey, we're putting so much focus on homework. And is, is that so important? Um, and it, that, that, sh- that, ha- that shift maybe happened like five, six years ago where they're like, hey, let's assign homework and we'll grade it. But a very tiny amount um, with the hopes that at least they'll kind of do it. But more importantly, we just want them to be here and be engaged because, you know, if they're doing homework every day, they're going to start to despise it. Um, and I think probably around the same time, probably a little earlier than that, the, where the the public school districts started doing that too, where they're like, "Hey, homework's not that important. We want them to be here. We want them to be engaged." I, I guess uh, the question a question for uh, Sergi, when you said the reading level in Tamka thirty forty percent in public school and you know eighty ninety in private school, but does it have does it have to do, let's say if your kid went to public school and you being a teacher and your wife graduating law school? If your kid, I guess the, the question is, if your kid went to the to public school, but because you have a master's degree in teaching, you got a wife, you know, educated wife, is it possible that your kid in public school would still get 80, 90 percentile reading level because of, let's say, parents at home? Absolutely. Yeah. Or, but look, so again, so then the argument against, let's say, private school is that because, let's say, and you get the kid that's reading at 30 percentile in public school, you send him to private school, but if he comes home and let's say it's a single mom, she's working 16-hour shifts, and even after shift, you know, whatever, issues at home, and he comes home, he doesn't do any homework, he doesn't you know, do anything educational, and, he, and parents don't support him. So I guess the question is, let's say don't send him to public school because low, you know, let's say classes are big or whatever, and they get low per- percentile. I think you're touching on a much bigger issue where income disparity comes into into play because, okay, private school, let's take private school, for example. I think it's a pretty – it's easy to make a statement that kids that are in private school, their parents are doing okay. They can afford to pay the extra amount to go to private school. They're probably – their family life is probably a little bit better. Obviously, they're still outliers, but, you know, they're probably more well-off. Their parents aren't, you know, slaving away all the time, never have time to be with their kids, to have dinner with their kids, to sit and do their homework with their kids. So this, those kids, I think from the get-go, are automatically learning better, doing better, whereas public schools, there's a lot of kids in the public school system who 
for whom uh, school is kind of like almost a babysitter. Yeah. Because their parents are working. They don't have time to do that. So they just say, oh, right, the, the, the kids the, are in school for eight hours. That's babysitting for me. They're going to get fed. Hopefully they'll learn something. That was one of the big issues with COVID when they canceled school. And parents yes. were like, what the heck are we supposed to do? Like even as far as feeding, they're like, we can't feed the kids three times a day because we, we have a budget to feed them once a day in dinner during the dinner and that's it. So that's kind of the problem. So, yeah, I guess what's I guess what's if you I guess it's only like opinion. But what's more important, the, the school that the kids kid goes to or life at home? I think I think life at home because even in the public school there's outliers. I'm not trying to brag, but I went to public school all the way through, and I remember when I was in in still elementary school, I was reading at high school level. I'd get the big books in the library. They had stickers, and the stickers were indicative of like the color of the sticker yeah, was reading yeah. level, and I'd be reading at a much higher level. But I feel like that's because at home our family life was much better than other people, where my parents would, you yeah. know, would, would prompt me to do homework, to read, to learn things. So super important education was considered, you know, like paramount. Right. And right. there's a lot of families where that doesn't happen. So school becomes more of like a babysitting for, you know, for eight hours. You, you know, the kids come home. Parents are all either still at work or busy with other things. So there's no time to spend that one-on-one time. So I think. I think it's you can say that generally private school kids are smarter because their family life is better. Pri- uh, public school generally the maybe the students are not as smart, not as educated because their family lives are not as good. But then again, there's outliers to both situations. Yeah, there's yeah, private school yeah. kids we're, we're whose family generally. life is terrible, yeah. and even though they're in private school paying you know either hundreds or thousands of dollars for schooling, they'll still be a bad student. And then there's public school kids yeah. who. They might be poor, but their parents put in the time, and exactly, they're still, you know, they're yeah. Serge, how do you? Why have you observed? Well, I'm kind of on the same page. I think like parent involvement is the biggest like benefit to the kid succeeding. Like if your mom or dad, you know, your parents are gonna be on you. Like, hey, did you read this? Did you do this? And they show interest in you, and you get rewarded somehow. Um, Just, I mean, even with a good job, this kid like as kids all the way to like middle school, they want to like satisfy their parents. And when they get to like middle school, they're more peer influence. So now they want to be like, Hey, you know, I don't care what mom says. What about my boys? Right. So yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot of it has to do at home, but at the same time, I think the big problem with with public school is kids come in with a lot of baggage. Like I've had, so I've had multiple students who are like in middle school who were pregnant. Right. In middle school? Yes. We've Dang. had we've had police at our school due to sex trafficking. Dang. Like they think that there are kids that attend this school that are being sex trafficked, right? And they have I mean there's task forces for that. So they're not just coming to our school randomly. They're like, "Hey, and a lot of times they don't tell us who these students are because there's privacy issues. I mean, even if a kid goes to school, they still have privacy. So they're not like, "Hey, you know, Michelle in second grade is, you know, like, I don't know that, but they'll talk to us. We've had, we've had the gang unit come in and say, Hey, if this certain kid makes a threat, like we need to take it seriously, you know, like you need to document it and whatnot. So you take all those kids and you put them into a school. Um, and there's just so much more that you don't know about, right? Like, I think every year I've been there, there's also been kids who, you know, were in the brink of like taking their lives, right? These are like middle schoolers, like, I was probably one of the happiest kids in middle school. Like, yeah, yeah, I didn't know, like, you know, I didn't know my parents, like, financial situation or whatnot, but I had, like, a good community around me. You know, I'd go to church. Um, so, like, I never even considered that, right? Yeah. But, like, now, 
and you know there's like shows like that 13 uh things about you and stuff like in a way they glorify suicide you know what i mean yeah and all these kids are watching this and then we'll get you know they'll mention it like hey if a kid says this or that you know like be you know there's just just a lot more baggage coming into um i guess yeah that's because I, what i was thinking like the argument for public school is i'm thinking let's say there's you know big chunk of the kids that let's say have you know troubled life at home and I'm like, you send your kid, and you have a great life at home, and next thing he's outperforming everybody, and he's like a superstar in school, so then he's getting all the attention. But then you kind of, the, the, I guess the risk of it is, no matter what, eight hours a day, your kid will be some, at some point interacting with people, let's say, that have like super heavy baggage, and kind of like, and you're crossing your fingers mm-hmm. that your kid's not going to be trying the same stuff. So I guess in private school, you kind of, Maybe there's going to be not necessarily a perfect world, but you have hopefully less interactions with people the, with that heavy of a baggage, I guess. Hmm. Yeah? How many, how many, uh, I have a question. How many of us were private school? How many of us were private school? No, our parents weren't able to afford it, but I think we're now, if we're our the, generation, we're, mo- now like, look, like now look, how many, okay, and now how many of our, say, public school, all of us were pu- public school, da. How many of us were like our parents encouraged schooling? Because I remember me growing up, I grew up with seven brothers, three sisters. My parents never drilled like you got to go to school, you got to do this, do this, do that. It, we, I have seven brothers, and it it kind of depended on each individual person as well how they reacted with school. Like I had, I have an older brother that, well, two older brothers, but both of them never kind of. Like they didn't give two craps about school. They they were they just did their thing. They so brought movies home, watched movies. They just chilled in secret, watching movies in secret. In secret, because nice. you get you get punished <laughs> if you they, if parents found out you were watching some bad movies. But I'm um, I'm sure that's anywhere. But um, my point is like, and then it would depend on on the brother or the sister. Like my sister, she focused. She well, she was in. She almost finished uh, county. She got married and now. She's a stay-at-home mom because her accounting. she didn't finish accounting, but she, yeah, her husband makes enough money, so she doesn't care about that. But she studied, and it kind of depended on each individual person. Myself, say so I, I was like worried in middle school, even though I went to a public school. In middle school, I was worried about my education. I was like, dude, I gotta finish my schooling. I gotta go to college. I gotta do this. I got. I don't want to work say construction. I don't want to work hard like my dad. I want to. I want to do this. But today, I'm literally in construction. I did, um, well, not almost. I, I finished school, studied what I did. But it's kind of, I think it depends also, say, on the individual person. And I don't know what what influenced that decision-making throughout that child's life. But I think it also, it, it depends a lot on the person, too. Because even private school, I'm sure we know a lot of, say, people or kids or that went to private school or, like, situations of private school kids that just turn out and, I don't know, do what whatever the heck with yeah. their life. So, like... A lot of factors are are in play, but yeah, it's yeah. Just and kind I think of for us, uh, even when, like when I went, I went to Kent Lake High, and but I think for like most of us, the main community or like circle of friends wasn't at school. Like I've had, I had like American friends. I remember I slept over at one of the homies' house and stuff. But my kind of like main influence were the church friends. So kind of like consider like all my influence. And everything that you know that I tried or didn't try depended on my church friends, and that was kind of like my main homies, main influences, main friends. So Americans, I almost saw them as like 
you know, separate homies, you know, kind of like, oh, th- these I just see them in school, but I have nothing to do with them outside of school. So, yeah, I think for most of us, we have the influence of, like, Slavic, you know, community rather than friends in school. But I guess, will our children be as separated in a way from American friends than we were? Because I think we're still a lot more, you know, more fob than our kids that are going to be growing up. So I wonder if our kids are going to be a lot more integrated with, you know, in school with their friends or the church is still going to be their main circle of friends. I think so. I think America is a melting pot. And I think when, when we were all in school, all of our parents were still fresh immigrants. We were like kind of the first big round of immigrants, or at least our parents were. And we all kind of stuck together. It's the reason why in big cities there'll be like a Chinatown or, you know, or a little Polish town is because people like to stick together with what's familiar. So we had that. We had, I mean, back when we were all in school, there was really only like, what, three big churches in, in the Puget Sound, and they're like a 1,000 members each, and we had these big old communities. But now that's been factioned off into, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 churches maybe. Dang. So we still have the communities, but it's much smaller. But at, this, but at the same time, America's a melting pot, and uh, I've, I've had this argument with my parents so many times, but like we, every time you know, we come, and I think any immigrant who comes to America, they, they think this, this, this process goes through their mind. They're like, no, we're here. We have to conserve our beliefs and our traditions, um, and you can try as hard as you can, but it's just that all melts away by the second, third generation. Uh, I believe in a couple generations that we'll just be full-blown Americans. It won't even be like, oh, we're Ukrainian or something. We'll just be like, oh, we're Americans. But I think my great-great-grandpa came from, like, Europe or something. Like, it, when you talk to white kids at school and they're like, oh, uh, I think I'm, like, British or something like they that. They all want to be, like, one-eighth and one-sixteenth something. <laughs> yeah, we have that right now. But, you know, our great-great-great-grandkids or maybe even sooner than that are just going to be white kids with funky last names. Um, but they'll just be like, no, I was born here. My parents were born here, and my grandparents were born here. But way back in the day, somebody immigrated from Europe, I think. Um, and so right now, I mean, our first generation, you know, we had the community of the churches. We had the community of kind of the bonding of we're all Slavics, we're all immigrants. This is a new place. We're all, you know, all on food stamps, this and that. But that's, that quickly, I think, starts to disappear, and pretty soon we're all just going to be Americans. When you say white kids, like, what if you are you married? Yes. Oh, you are? Okay. I was going to say, like, what if you marry somebody that's not white? You know? <laughs> oh, I have nothing wrong against that, but... No, the, the one thing that Roman... Roman, right? The one thing Roman mentioned is, like, um, and this is a big, huge disparity I see in schools. If you take, you know, probably the last six, seven years, I've had, like, 35 Ukrainian girls and, like, 35 Ukrainian dudes. And I would say out of 35 Ukrainian girls, like, they're so on top of it, like... 30 of them will just be excellent students, like, on top of everything. They'll just, they're so bright. And the boys, man, if the, <laughs> those guys, like, teach kids, like, Russian bad words, you know, <laughs> like, sketch stuff into the desk, you know. So it, it, it's totally different. I think, like, the boys are looking at, like, their dads or uncles or, like, males that they have in their family that do, like, things like construction. And they'll say, like, well... You know, my uncle has, there's this kid always says, my uncle has, you know, 350 diesel, you know, and he like gets excited. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, so he sees that as like success where a lot of the Ukrainian girls, um, at least that come to my school, a lot of them just like really want to go to college and they like at a young age, right, either (laughs) nurses or whatever, but they like, they have this idea of going to college where a lot of Ukrainian boys like, and I get it. Like when you graduate and you're 18, 19, like you want to have the flyest car at church. You know what I mean? Like yeah, pull up. that's just what you want to do. You know, you want to go to Alki. You don't want to be in a Civic, right? <laughs> Russ, so, like, Russ and we were now yeah. the new place. What do we? What do we drive? 
Throw it back. I, I drove uh, my mom's minivan. White white sure. Chevy Venture, dude. I, I was a cool kid. Well, not it Go. wasn't a, like a cool car, What'd but it was drive? a unique car. The new EP3s, the Civic SIs, the kind of like minivan-looking ones. Spoiled, dude. Private but, school right here, bro. No, <laughs> no, and I got lucky because my dad won it from auction. And then so he got it for like a good price in Ohio. And it gets shipped in. No, before it got shipped in, and something my dad's like, Ну там, Вася буде їздити, якщо треба, мама теж треба десь на роботу. І мамка like, ну, тож вона на стику, like stick shift. And when it's like, oh, Danny, what do you mean? So I got heck of lucky because like parents got it, but it was stick shift. And it was like one of those like weird location stick shift. So yeah, all the... I want to make a quick topic change just because we're kind of touching on it right now. And we can come back to schooling. But like Serge just said, how in the Russian communities, you know, a lot of guys... So you take your examples from, you know, obviously role models in your life. So a lot of guys, they're, you know, their dads or grandpas or uncles, they do construction. They make a good living. So that seems like a good thing. I think I would agree that not a lot of male Slavic people, Slavic boys want to go into like a higher education role. They'd rather be like, you know, I'm a man, I'm going to work hard, you know, with my muscles and bring home the bacon. Whereas for women, it's become a much bigger thing to go to school and how did that start? I don't know. You know, maybe you're, you're sitting at home and maybe way back down the line, some Slavic girl went and got, you know, a basic accounting degree. And everyone's like, wow, look at that. She stays at home with the kids and she got a degree. She's making a little bit of money to help the husband. And that became a thing. And I feel like now where we are now. So I, I was recently talking to a, a, some friends, a couple about this, and they were clearly a little uneasy about it. But they were we we're just talking about it. It was a discussion. Mm-hmm. And. The wife in the family, she made more money than her husband. Mm-hmm. Her husband did. <laughs> her husband made more. Did Hashtag more of a, goals. <laughs> her husband was more of a laborer, and the wife got a degree of some sort, and she was working in more of an office setting, and she was making more hu- money than the husband. And you can tell that it was a tense, kind of a soft subject for them, even though they were trying to be cool about it. But it was weird for the husband, at least, because he's like, she's making more money than me, but yet I'm like working harder. This is weird, and I feel like that's a that's happening more and more in our Slavic community where a lot of, especially young people, where wife goes to get some kind of degree, she's making more money, husband pachaya on siding, but his paychecks are still smaller than hers. So, like, you know, are you still the man in the house? Are you still running things? Or, well, or what's, still, you what's always changing? Running. Well, um, I can speak to that a little bit because in middle school and in high school, I, w- I love to read. I read a lot of books. My librarian actually encouraged me to write a book because uh, I would always come to her, ask her for her suggestions of books, and she was like, man, you already read all the books I suggested to you. I did all the those book marathons and stuff. And it was actually kind of hard because I, I, in my community, I would get made fun of like with my cousins and my dad and never I would get made fun of because I'm supposed to be learning how to do signing. I'm supposed to be learning how to do tile. And I'm reading books, and to them, that is um, like, uh, to them, that's like, uh, like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be learning this. Like, you're wasting your time with books, type of deal. So I kind of, ha- like, I kind of, I live through that, and I have a um, a soft spot for like for those kids that are like, I understand those Russian guys that go to exciting because it's it's really hard to break through that and be like, hey, I love reading. And um, I'm gonna do this, and I want to be a teacher like Serge. It's 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 not that easy to break through that because, like in our community, it's all geared around like, hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to you you got to know how to fix your car. Like you're a man, you know, like reading, um, reading, uh, you know, Grapes of Wrath is not gonna help you, uh, you know, make a couple of thousand dollars for doing someone's shower tile or something. And I I am in construction right now. I'm an electrician, but um, and 
that's one side of it. I understand those kids, but I also understand the parents because my wife has a master's degree, and as an electrician, I make more money than her. So I understand where the adults are coming from, but I also understand where the kids are coming from, where um, they push, like, if I, uh, they make good money, they push their kids to do that, and they don't let their kids read books. They don't let their kids be creative. They don't let them or they don't encourage it? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, 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 that's not what I meant. I mean, they don't encourage the creativity. They don't encourage book reading. And um, so I, ju- I just kind of feel bad. So you're saying can it's we, a cultural thing? Yeah. Can it, we time out? Can we stop bagging on the ciders, please? Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about framers now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Do you think this goes back to the Soviet Union where being an intellectual was like. Mm, no, I, I, I actually I had the conversation with my wife. She's a nurse right now. She's going back to UW to get her master's to get a better pay and stuff. And we had a discussion. It was like legit. Like it kind of. So okay, so can we disclose that you were the couple that I was talking about? Oh, I don't know. If that, I don't know. I don't know if it was if it was us. But I'd, if it was, I, I don't think kidding. we were uneasy or to what. Uh, I got a question for no, Serge. I'm, I'm totally he was like sweating no. and stuff. I <laughs> yeah. got I got a question for Serge. You said you Mine said. Wasn't done. And then surgery. But I want to explain. So, Ina and I, we had this discussion. And I think it definitely comes down to, like, wives, I don't know, wisdom, I guess, when it comes to being your wife. So, even right now, Ina makes her own, you know, good money being a nurse. But I don't think I've ever, it's been, you know, only four plus years of being married. But so far, because of Ina's abundance of wisdom, of, like, being a, just a good wife, not necessarily I'm submissive and, you know, doing everything I say, but just kind of approaching you. And even, look, two days ago, she needed to buy something for her baby, and it's like three, 400 bucks. And she's like, hey, what do you think about ordering this? Like, it's kind of expensive. I don't know. It's, it's going to be worth it. She's trying to, like, justifying making this purchase that's, like, going to be beneficial for the whole family. And she's making, you know, good money, but she's, yeah, so I think it's very well handled in, let's say, in our family. And she's making her own money, but... I've heard examples before where wife's like, doesn't matter, I make my own money, I'll buy whatever I want, like, you don't tell me, don't tell me what to buy or whatever, so I think that's, that depends on wisdom of both people and how you, like, handle your marriage and your family, but, yeah, about going back to Mario, why do girls tend to do more school and guys are more construction, yeah. and we've had a discussion as well, and just a couple words on this, is how I explained it, I guess, or justified it to myself, I think as a guy, I'm like, dude, no matter what, like, I will be fine as far as money. I'm like, yo, I'll go apply at Home Depot. I'll go apply and make $15 an hour, but I'll pay my rent. Like, I'll figure it out in a way mentality. But I think for, let's say, speaking, let's say, to my wife, Ina, she's more of like, she needs to plan a lot, plan, let's say, long term. She's like, okay, I need to go to school because this, because if I don't do this, I'm screwed kind of mentality. Like, so I'm going to be prepared. But I think as a guy, I'm like, Dude, if I get fired tomorrow, like, give me three, four days, I'll find a different job, and I'll be fine. And I think that's what prevents guys from going to school, because they feel like they'll figure it out no matter what. Right. Serge, uh, what do you think? Why do, why do Russian girls, like, excel and have so much potential and excel so much in school, and Russian guys carve dirty things into, like, desks? I got to – before Serge goes uh, – <laughs> on that the same topic – is it only like say Slavic first generation immigrants, or is it overall just like say Mexicans, what, whatever the heck you're from? Is it mostly say first generation immigrants that take this like opportunity to say to go to school, girls versus guys, like comparing um, different cultures, different people? I would say for like the Hispanic kids, I'd say it's similar, but I think a lot of the Hispanic kids, like at our school. Um, 
I feel like when they go home, they have both working parents where a lot of Ukrainian couples have like a working man, you know, who like has a siding company, right? Who like, you know, the wife stays home or has, you know, like a construction business. So, um, but I think like just with Ukrainians, I see the big, huge disparity, you know, just like the Ukrainian girls, um, and the Ukrainian boys, it's so different. And, um, I mean, I'm not sure why it is, but I mean, I just think they just, what they see, they see role, role models, you know, they go to church and probably the dude who has maybe the biggest house or the nicest car is probably has a construction company. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we do have some other people now who've started other types of businesses, but for the most part, for what they see, you know, from that's what they see and that, and that's what they want to do. It's like, Hey, I want to get out. I want to make that quick buck. And then when I'm 45 and my back starts hurting, you know, like, I'm going to say, hey, I wish I went to school, but, you know, at that point, it's going to be too late. Got it. Um, so, Rome, uh, I mean, uh, Serge, you're kind of a unicorn then because you had two different careers, and it was an accounting, and now it's teaching, and it has nothing to do with construction. It's it's kind of something to look up, uh, look up to. How, how did you manage that, and how was your environment, you know? Well, I think, like, when I was younger, I wanted to do, like, I was fascinated with um, – I was fascinated with like longshoremen. Like I love watching these big container ships come through and I'm like, dude, that's what I want to do. Right. But as I got older, I was like, uh, and I actually, for a moment, I thought I want to be an electrician because I love wires. I love hooking up like stereos when I was a kid. And it's awesome. It's so different. <laughs> it's you know? awesome, bro. I'm an electrician. <laughs> <laughs> um, but kind of like as time went by, um, you know, I was working in corporate and I just did not like it. So when I made that change, it just, you know, it fit me. Um, and I think, to be honest with you guys, if my, my wife did not go to law school, I probably would either end up being, um, continue working at corporate. Like, I would have just stuck it out and just done it. How did you, uh, going back a little bit back, how did you block out all the noise from, like, you know, making a quick buck, making money, doing siding, doing tile, and actually being like, no, I'm going to get a degree in accounting. It's hard. Um, not a lot of Russian guys are doing it. All my friends are making a lot of money driving BMW. Driving BMWs. I'm going to drive a Civic or whatever you used to drive, and I'm going to get this uh, degree and do that. I think a lot of us like grew up in a household where like a lot of people say something like and whatnot, right? And like as a kid, that never bothered me, and I feel like I've always had the confidence to not really care what others say as much. Um, so it, like, to me, it was more of like, just, it came natural to me. So I never really worried about like, Hey, what is this guy? Or what does that guy say? Like, it literally did not matter to me. Like, and all my friends, I mean, they were always like supportive of me when I was going to school and my wife was supportive of me. Um, she's, you know, she's pretty bright. I probably would have failed some classes without <laughs> her. She'd reread my papers be like, what do you mean here? You <laughs> use this word incorrectly. I'm like, Oh snap. And if I'm under, sorry, if I'm understanding correctly, did you, uh, you probably had a better earning potential. Um, you probably had a better earning potential, uh, sticking with your first career. And yeah. can you go through like a process of like, I'm not happy here or like yeah. say, speak to somebody who like is in a job right now in a, like a, a quote unquote, a good job, but they're not quite happy and what they can do to change. Well, like. Teaching, I mean, it's um, like, for example, when I got out of uh, when I graduated from my bachelor's, I think my first job when I started at Nordstrom, my very first year was like around 45K, which probably equates to like 20 some bucks an hour, right? Something of that nature. 
But like today, when teachers with the masters start teaching, they start at like almost like 68, 69K, right? So it's a huge start already. Plus, you get the summers off. Mm -hmm. So for me, it wasn't necessarily just the salary. For me, it was more like, hey, once we have kids, like, what are we going to do with them in the summertime, right? Once our kids go to school and they have two weeks off, like, how are we going to navigate that? So there's all of these things. So it wasn't just like a quick decision. Like, I've, I've thought about this. I'm like, man, me being in this situation would be so much beneficial for our family as a whole. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say something to that. So for me, I give props to my parents, uh, especially my dad. I remember growing up, um, there's so many up like times and, and different situations. So my, my dad, he were in, back in Ukraine, he worked in a coal mine. And his, his dad also worked in that same coal mine. And they worked there for a long time. And, you know, you're, you're underground in tunnels breathing coal and dust and working hard. It's, a, it's laborious. And I remember, like, even since when I, you know, became a teenager, when you start to kind of notice things around the world and having little pep talks. I would drive around with my dad a lot. I'd help him on his, like, projects, whatever. And my dad's done construction for most of or hard work labor for most of his life. And then more recently, so he developed a heart condition, so he had to kind of downgrade his life. He got a pretty cush job at a local school district being, like, a maintenance guy. He, like, oils, you know, the squeaky doors and stuff and he's he's making good money he's he's chilling out and for him it's like almost boring because he's like man I, I, I live my whole life like working hard like sweating and now this i just walk around drive a truck it's super easy but growing up he'd always point out he's like hey look at this guy right here he's working at mcdonald's he's in his 30s you know it's hot in there he's covered with oil he's gonna come home smelling like oil for the next couple of days and he's not even making that much money do you want to do that and then there, you know, we'd go somewhere else, you know, to some office or something. He's like, "Look at this guy. He's wearing a, a, a button-down shirt, a robashka, a suit, and a tie. He's sitting behind a desk. There's AC in the room. He's not sweating, breaking his back. He's clicking on the keyboard. He clocks out. He's done. He goes home. Do you think, you know, he's so tired at the day after the, at the end of the day where he just comes home and passes out? You know, it, it eats a big meal and passes out. No, he he's comfortable. He comes home. He sells energy things, you know, to do stuff around the house. Spend some time with his kids." And I remember growing up, my dad would always like make these points out. He's like, "Look at him, look at him. Which one yeah. do you want to be?" And they always pushed education. They're like, you, you, this is "The land of opportunity." Like we came here. I mean, we don't even know the language, but my parents they took some like ESL classes. My dad got some kind of a degree at Green River, um, but they'd always push us. They're you know the language, like you know American better than you yeah. know a lot of people. For you, education and and they noticed from an early age that I was a pretty good learner. I was reading a lot. I was doing getting good grades. They're like, "You're smart." This is easy for you. Why are you going to go pahate, you know, be out in the sun or out in the rain, have your back start hurting when you can work in some office yeah. or somewhere where there's, a, you know, AC where you're, yeah. you're comfortable. They always instill that in me and that pushed me to go where I am. I'm not working construction. I'm in healthcare. I work in a hospital setting where it's comfortable. You know, obviously you have to deal with people, but that, that that's any, yeah. any workplace yeah. anywhere. Yeah. But, and, and they still, to this day, they still push me there. Go get your doctorates. You know, go go higher. Go more. This stuff comes easy to you. Why don't settle for less? Like, you're still young. So I yeah, feel like, I for me, parents, at least, was a big deal. Yeah, I guess and that's going back to, like, the whole life at home, you know? Like, you have parents, you know, and, you know, all of us growing up in a healthy families where parents supporting, believing, and not like, oh, you're a dummy. You're, you know, what are you doing? You know, forget school. Go get a job or whatever. But let's say it's the opposite. Like, hey, Go higher for school. You can do it. And, like, I think that's, like, it means so much to a kid when the parents, like, dude, I think you're smart. You can do it. And you're like, man, like, yeah, I can. And, you know, but imagine if you're real, your whole life parents were t- telling you, like, how dumb you are and, like, how you're incapable of anything. 
But I think we did like for a while on like the whole like school and education, everything. Well, let's let, uh, let's just finish my my thing oh, that I brought up. So, do we agree it's okay for a woman to make more than a man in the family? <laughs> no, because you, you stepped out. Uh, oh, yeah, you sorry. you stepped out, and like I talked about, let's say even like in a, let's say in, in our situation, we talked about even her going her going going to get masters, and it comes down to a wisdom in let's say both husband and wife, and how like you handle your family. Because I think if that's an issue, if that's going to become an issue in the family, then there's going to be a lot more things that not just finances that are going to be also an issue in the family. Uh, that's just one of the reasons for let's say to fight or argue in the family. And okay. if, yeah, if you can't handle the, navigate that, there's probably you know ten or you know twenty other things that you're going to have difficulties in marriage as well. Yeah. But shout out to Ina. Yo, and last thing, like if your wife makes more, as long as you guys have a joint account, it don't matter. <laughs> oh. Tell him, Sergi, with a lot, deg- with a lot degree wife. That brings up another thing. I had an interesting conversation with my wife and some coworkers. So we were talking <laughs> about we we're talking about finances, mm-hmm. and I don't know about you guys. Me and my wife, we have a joint account. You know, like our money goes into the same account. We kind of split the account. But talking to some of my coworkers who are either dating or married, they have separate accounts. Mm-hmm. And it's like my income goes into this account, your income goes into that account. Every month we have to pay either you know the rent or mortgage, or uh, and they like split it. They like cash app each other. Like, oh, you paid the mortgage, I'm gonna cash app you five hundred bucks, you know. And but that works for them, and th- they don't seem to have any like weirdness about it. They're like, no, yeah, this is like this is cool, and they almost think it's weird that we have a joint account because they're like, wait, you you share all your money? As soon as soon as my wife gets her bachelor's, we're getting a joint account. <laughs> <laughs> No, for us, uh, Ina and I have separate accounts, but we've never really like necessarily like talked about it. Or, but for us, like how we like navigate our finances, and of course, every family is handling differently. But like we haven't had an issue with it yet. So for us, my money goes to pay all the bills, some expenses, whatnot. Ina, she tries to do at least most of her money into savings. Time if she goes to store, like groceries, whatever. She like if she let's say if I'm not there, she'll use her card. So that's, that's kind of how we're handling it, and so far it's been fine. But like I said, and you you stepped out. But like for us, let's say even repeating, but like any purchases that Ina wants to make, she's like, hey, why? She's like, this costs that much. Should I buy it? So for us, it's like been never been an issue. Or if I'm buying something, like, hey, by the way, I'm gonna order this or whatever. Kind of like you know, in the evening you're talking. So so far it hasn't been an issue. Like, hey, what's going on with your account? Hey, what's going on here? You, you but it's almost we never got around to it. But it hasn't been an issue for us to be like. Hey, can we hurry up and get a joint account? And so that's kind of how we're handling it for now. But let's say if we come around to like, hey, because it's getting inconvenient. And for me, it's almost better because I feel like I'm more loose with my money. So let's say if I if it's joint, I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Slide it. Yeah, but right now, let's say, you know, she, she's a lot more strict when it comes to like savings. And, you know, this dollar goes here, this dollar goes there. And I'm happy to for her to have that. And she's kind of managing all of that. And now, and my money kind of like come in, pay the bills, pay rent, make payments, all of those things, and I'm good with that. So yeah, that's kind of how we're handling it. I feel like I feel like a, a, a key to any marriage is transparency, full transparency. And I feel like a joint account would be um, a, a joint account it, um, <clears throat> is uh, basically like it's full transparency. So I'm a big proponent of joint accounts and. Uh, what you're saying is there should be a yin, uh, yin and yang to like every money um, situation. I, uh, when we first got married, I was very conservative with my money because I was just starting off in the union. And when you start off, you don't make that much, and I was 
putting my wife through school, and she was more liberal because uh, she never had to worry about it. I, I, liberal I, finances or liberal ideologically? In fi- no, yeah, no, in finances. <laughs> and actually, now we switched. And now we switched. Uh, she's she understands the value of money because she has her. She got her master's. She worked really, really hard for it, and. Um, She's uh, working, helping people. She's a so, uh, social service prov- provider, a high, uh, uh, ED, emergency department. And uh, I'm an electrician, and now I make a lot more money. I feel more free, and now she's the one that pulls me back. The yin and yang, is it re- it's reversed, and I think that's very healthy, the transparency. And if one uh, – uh, uh, it's it's very healthy, it, it, like uh, the discourse of one couple is conservative, one's liberal to where like – you guys make decisions together, and you guys meet halfway instead of just being the super conservative or super super liberal with your money. Yeah, right, Sergi. Yeah. Do any of you guys have like a situation where you keep all the money, and then your wife is like, "Hey, can I have five hundred bucks to go shopping?" <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, I think most of our wives work. I think yeah, same same like as Roman and you guys. Like we, well, I've been married for I think seven months now, and. Oh. We have veteran, we don't have joint accounts veteran. yet. Yeah, I'm a vet. We have we don't have joint accounts yet until she gets a bachelor's and gets a job. Then I'll get a joint account. No, JK. But it's kind of the same thing. Like she, I think the reason why I've been like say uh, reluctant to getting a joint account is just kind of maybe even have her like to understand that the value of money because she she but she works and she schools at the same time. So she works her butt off probably more than me right now because I just work. Don't you think she but understands like, the value of money yeah, already? Yeah, she understands the value of money right already. But she like buy like furniture for the house or something, and she will like tell me, yo, this chair was like two hundred fifty bucks. And I'm like, dang, that's a lot she of money. You, she told you after she ordered. Yeah, no, she told me after she ordered, but like it, it's after the fact. So it's like she understands how how say the value of it, but the the point being like. She works hard too, dude. She probably works hard, works harder than me right now at this point. But I mean, both of us bring like money to the table, so it's it's healthy. Yeah, how much? <laughs> no, 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 but uh, yeah, I think it was like a very it's fun. I feel like yeah, uh, sometimes we have like more lighter discussions. It was more like serious and like life discussions. Uh, it was pretty light. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I wasn't but, like super like last like, week got kind of heavy. But I enjoy the elastic was more like I feel like we had it's more like not free flowing. But hey, if, if I don't I don't know if you're uh, wrapping up. Yeah, I just want to no. Hi- no, I just I just want to hype. We're just getting started. Uh, that was an intro. Okay, <laughs> I just want to. I'm always very curious about this because you guys heard my view on public school, private school. I just want a hypothetical to Serge. Um, I'm fascinated with like what he, what he does, and he sees a lot of kids and his experience. Uh, who would do better like in a school system in life if uh, if if a kid that goes to public school with a strong parents trust support system, or a privileged kid that goes to public school with a dysfunctional background and family, who would you think would would thrive I better? I think you, you misspoke. So, bad family, but in private school, yes. or good family and in public school. Yeah, who would thrive better, and what matters more? If you were a betting man, yeah, and by how much? Well, I'd probably say the kid who has the more support at home for sure. Okay. Even like, even though they go to a private school and they have better teachers and better students and stuff, you still think like a support at home matters that much more? Yeah, because I think like private school also gives you also a lot of skills that public schools may not. Like you're not going to experience maybe, you know, seeing kids fighting, seeing kids arguing. Like there's a lot of different lessons at school that aren't necessarily about like education. There's like 
you're going to see a lot a lot of more different situations you know you're going to see kids who um you know for example there's kids who will point at somebody's shoes and be like oh he has holes in his shoes right and that like you know it, it depends what what kind of lesson you take out of it you're like man i never want to be that guy right he shouldn't be treated that way or in private school you may not ever see that so you might not ever have to think about it in private school they'll laugh at you they be like oh you only got the 325 yeah. bro i got the 335 yeah. <laughs> yeah. no tur- no turbo <laughs> <laughs> so no at the end of the day at the end of the day it's just i feel like at the end of the day it's what's what you got going on at home yeah and it's interesting that even even us like you know we were surrounded by like slavic community the we're like in general the slavic community us let's say the second generation i guess immigrants is at that level, I guess, financially, socially, where right now it's almost like looked down upon if your kids do go to public. Let's say for, for sec- second-generation kids, like I think a couple of times where the like, conversation brought up, it was brought up, and it's almost like, dude, you're considering going, like, sending kids to public school, and it's almost looked down upon now. I guess the good part of it is like that's good that we're there financially in general, where like that's kind of almost expected of you and like to afford that and you know work and pay for that so that's the good part of it and i think i think it's natural Vasily. um i think that like yes i understand like like uh, what sergey said that um and it matters what you have at home if if a kid has a really strong foundation at home and he goes to public school and he learns this but imagine if a kid has a really strong good foundation at a and uh, and goes to a private school, so now like education wise, he's more ahead, and his his um uh his ceiling just got higher because not only is he getting a good foundation at home, he's also going to school and getting a good foundation at school. I think it's a natural for a, a, a parent for people as parents to want better for the kids, and if you have a good solid foundation at home, and you go to a private school, and you now you go and you become a doctor. Degree. It, yeah, it's just it's just it's the next thing you know, you're Elon Musk, you know, or dang. Oh, yeah, I tweeted at Elon Musk today. He didn't reply yet, but he will. <laughs> so, so Serge's about to have two Elon Musks. No. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I know my kids. <laughs> Question for you, Serge. Hey, you know, you know, I'm sure you know about like Montessori schools. Yeah. Okay, so me and my ha- me and my wife are having this talk about Montessori. Why don't you explain what Mont- for anyone who doesn't know what a Montessori school is? Well, I mean, like, I've never taught in one, but I know, like, they're extremely religious, generally speaking, and they're, like, they all have their own thing. Like, they're not all, like... Religious a co- in the way they do school or religious, a religious, let's say, a specific religion? Or, like, religious and, like, to like they're committed to their style of school. They're just, they're also, uh, they're also very committed to, like, certain values, a, a certain way how to do things. Like, one example I can give you, one of my friends taught at one of those schools, and he was not allowed to eat in the same room as the kids because like he wasn't in their religion realm or whatever it was. What's so, their like, religion? Um, usually. I mean, honestly, like, I don't know if they like stick to one religion or not. just generally like Christian. Right. But mm-hmm. other Christian is such a big umbrella. Yeah. Where Catholics. people can be. Yeah. But I mean, like when I think, you know, like Russians think like Christian and Catholics are so different. Right. And, and they are, but like in America, like if you're Catholic, you're most likely just going to say Christian. anyways, yeah. Right. So, they're more of like Christian schools. I know that a lot of them also have like the Ukrainian situation where like girls sit on this side and boys sit on this. And I don't know if Ukrainian churches still do that or not. I mean, so, that's what it was <laughs> when I went to Ukraine. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's just. But, well, sorry, what I meant to ask Montessori schools, they teach differently, though, than regular schools, right? 
Um, as well, I well, it depends. Like teaching, like when you get a teaching certificate, you learn all the same stuff. But like once you get to a certain school district, you have different curriculums. So like it just depends. Like what curriculum are they teaching, right? So I don't know if they like every school has their own curriculum. There's hundreds of them, right? So it's hard to pinpoint and say like, well, this school does that because there could be so many different. Yeah, I think Ina looked into those a little bit, and I'm yeah, sorry. I, I might be confusing myself. Sorry, the the road that I was trying to go down, maybe I confused Montessori with something else. But I know there's schools. There, I mean, they're private schools, but they are completely different than like the standard curriculum, where it's not like you know you get a grade or this and that. Everything is more individualized per student. And instead of grades, you know, they have like – it's more of like experiences and yeah. it's like a different way of looking at education where it's not like, you charter know – Charter schools. Charter schools, is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like if, if – you know, so, uh, I think when the charter school is more like – I'm thinking like private, you know, more smaller scale schools. But I think what he's talking about, Montessori schools – it's, I think the, the, that's, it's not necessarily curriculum, but style of teaching. They don't have like a classroom setting. They have more of, let's say, they have blocks in this corner. Yes. They have drawings in this yes. corner, books in this corner. And they just let the kid choose. And they're like, okay, this kid is interested in blocks. Maybe, you know, he's more going to be interested in engineering. So let's, you know, emphasize on blocks and numbers and this stuff. But let's say five girls go and they're only sticking to drawing. So they're like, you know, they're more artistic. They're more expressive. Yes. So let's emphasize that skill. So I think that's the man, because Ina looked into that. I think they're expensive. They are. But, but that's kind of the point I was trying to make. Because like, if you teach a kid to be, let's say, you know, figuratively, if you teach a kid to be a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail. You yeah. Know? You've heard that before. But like if you teach every kid individually, kind of more, all right, this kid's more of a screwdriver, this kid's more of a hammer, this guy's more of a table saw yeah. or something. You know? And they all have different skills and different applications in life. And that kind of helps lead them to maybe a career that they're more almost you know, built for yeah. rather than just everybody gets treated the same even though they're all different. And then you get you know, 80% of them end up in jobs where they're not but happy. I, but I think that could be also done not necessarily at expensive private school. But let's say what Sergio was talking about, a private school and smaller classrooms. Because when you have 10, 12 students, the teacher's like, you know what? After you know, a month, two, they're like, this kid has a, a hunch for this. I should develop this more because smaller classrooms. And it's like, you know what? Roman likes reading. I should emphasize more reading, you know, for him because that's because the teacher has time to get to know each student individually. But if you have 30, 40 students in the class and, you know, five different periods, the teacher has no idea who likes what, who, right. the strengths and weaknesses. So, yes, but I think that kind of can be done at a private school where a teacher really knows the student and you know the strengths and weaknesses and kind of try to push them or help them and encourage them in a very specific you know way that would be specific to the you know student individually yeah and before we move on from like this education part like that's the biggest thing in education is smaller classes i mean i, I think uh, mark zuckerberg dropped like 500 million dollars into three school districts in jersey i want it seven eight years ago and after like four or five years their students their tests never scores never went up where I look at my classes sometimes when I have a class of like, you know, I had last year I had a class of like 22 and those kids in there, they scored much higher as my bigger classes. So to me, and that's just one person's opinion. I'm yeah. not like, I don't know if there's data behind it, but that's kind of what I say. Yeah, and it's common sense. Yeah, you have less kids to focus on. Obviously, you're going to spend more time and get to know them. But yeah, we spend quite a, a lot of time on education. But it was interesting because I think it applies to most of us and we'll say in the future because we talk about this stuff outside of, you know, spreading seeds. But I think the hot topic or, you know, current events going on, any more updates, any, any changes, changes of opinions? I guess, where do you guys 
think this is going? Like, when is it going to get? When is it going to end? What are you talking about? Let's say current events, protests, you know, Black Lives Matter, all of those things combined. What's going to happen? Like predictions, guesses, guesstimates are what's going to happen with all of this. I what can w- be the, like, the, the result? I wasn't here on the last episode, obviously, but I think the uh, George Floyd uh, riots and protests, and I, I stand behind those people. Yeah, they have um, uh, uh, they have the uh, a reason to protest, but rioting, obviously, I don't, I don't condone that. But I feel like it's a com- accumulation of people who have been quarantined at home and they have all this pent up energy and pent up everything it just it just boiled over and went into looting and rioting and and uh, I feel like um I feel like I I don't want to be too critical but I I mean, maybe I feel like um should I say you bro spit it out <laughs> Okay okay I'll, I'll I'll spit it out um we should we should always admit when we're wrong. I feel like uh, like when a government when they shut the country down, they realized that COVID was not a, that big of a deal. They should have just uh, loosened their restrictions and opened back everything back up instead of uh, just you know dying on a hill that they're dying on. And people, it's we're they're hurting the economy, and now we're realizing we're not only hurting the economy with this COVID, but we're also hurting our social our social stability because I feel like. In my opinion, people are coming out and protesting and rioting because they've been sitting at home quarantine and there's just like a lot of pent up energy and they're smashing things. And that's just my opinion. But you said you stand behind the protesters, like you support the protesters. I support peaceful protests, yes, because it has been shown to work. Peaceful protest gets things done, yes, but not what has been going on. I feel like uh, the Black Lives Matter rioters the people that smash things and rowdy people are a detriment to their cause. I have a hot take. I think all this stuff oh, that's going on. Yeah. No, it's not that hot of a take. Um, I think, I was just thinking about this the other day. If you look through history, you know, there's been dozens and dozens of these big historic events where there's like nationwide protests, you know, these big things going on. And I think that this is all. This is not a racial issue, or it's not you know like a, a sexist issue, or a feminism issue, or, or something else. I think this is a class issue. I think that the you know the lower and the middle class are so frustrated about their way of life, and they're mad at something, but they don't know who they're mad at. So they pick these things like, oh, this is what we're mad about, or that's what. But I think what they're ultimately mad about is about the upper class, the, the ruling class, because, you know, their lives are not good. They're not making enough money. Their housing is too expensive. They can't afford groceries. And I think the, you know, the ruling class does such a good job of confusing people and dividing them. They're like, no, no, you're mad at the cops because they killed this guy. Or, you know, you're, you're mad at this guy because he, you know, this or that. But ultimately, what you're mad at is that you can't live a comfortable life. You're working your butt off your whole life. You can't provide for your kids, for your family. Um, so who you should be mad at, you know, Everyone's protesting the police. Nobody's at Jay Inslee's house, you know, protesting against him or you know, or the even congressional senators and and you know in D.C. or the president. Nobody's protesting against them. Nobody's at Bezos's house or Bill Gates's house. Like, dude, you're f- too freaking rich and you're making life hard on every one of us. I think they've been so good at dividing, you know, divide and conquer. That's kind of been the story of forever. But I think all these things, whether it's this, obviously, you know, a man was killed by the police that deserves justice. But I think all this anger is just, they don't know where to point this anger. 
So they point to add different causes, you know, because right now there's all these different causes springing up that, you know, first it started off with Black Lives Matter, but now there's, you know, the trans community and other, other, you know, other communities. Everybody's like jumping in the ring now, like, no, we, we matter too. And now it's all this big muddled mess. But ultimately, I think what people are mad about is that their lives are just not comfortable. They're not happy and they don't know how to fix that. So they're, they start picking causes. That's my hot take. Yeah, man, I'm on the same boat. Like, a lot of people, like, regardless of who you are, like, white, Asian, Russian, black, whatever, like, at the end of the day, you want the, the best for your kids. Like, even if your home situation sucks, you still want your kid to learn. You still want your kid to grow up. You want your kids to do better than you did. And so I think a lot of, like, there's a lot of disparity when it comes to, you know, black men specifically. Like, they'll get pulled over by police and, you know, things go sideways. Um I think, like, as, like, a white dude, you know, like, I'm not a black guy, so it's kind of hard to speak on that. Just And I was thinking about this, kind of like, remember how, like, we all came to America at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, people, and I don't know if they did this to you guys. Like, people have said to me many times, like, go back to Russia, you're ugly, yeah. whatever, right? And that's you're not that part of my, yeah, yeah and, that's, <laughs> and that's nothing that no one else can speak of, right? Because they didn't experience that, right? If you said that to your friend, like, Jamie, hey, Jamie, he just said go back to Russia. He'd be like, oh, man, whatever, just forget about it. It's cool, right? So, like, when some of these dudes are dealing with some of these problems, like, I get it because, like, I'm not in that situation, you know? Like, how they respond to police sometimes, like, it could be questionable. Sometimes we see, like, edited videos. Sometimes we video comes in at a certain point, you know? So it's like, you know, as people, like, I think for me, like, I think my mind is made up to, like, well, the cops are the good people, right? Yeah. Like, we call cops for help. So a lot of times when I see a video, I'm like, okay, well, why is this cop doing this? I'm not ever thinking about, like... Why is this dude reacting that way? Because I may not know what happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, um, I know, like, for example, I know there's, like, generational trauma from kids who are, like, Jewish that are born today that never had anything to do with Holocaust, right? Like, mm-hmm. zero. But they have this generational trauma, right? There's, like, studies on it. So, like, who's to say, like, some of these, you know, black people, African Americans, you know, who's to say, like, some of them don't have generational trauma as well? Right. It's like you have like, let's say, a grandpa and say, hey, we were promised this many acres from the United States government. And then to the day, the United States government said, you know, screw you. We're not giving you jack. Right. So this grandpa could be at home teaching his four or five year old kid like, hey, this country doesn't work for us because, you know, after slavery, we were supposed to be given this. And then they took that away from us. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of it is generational. Um, I mean, it's not like there's no easy way to fix it. Um, but like, again, like, you know, I, you know, I think anyone that looks at that video sees that it was murder. Like, I don't, I haven't heard anyone say like, well, it wasn't murder. So like when they say like, no justice, like, I feel like there's been justice done to that. What's going to happen is this. So I was talking, uh, I was talking to my wife about this a bit. They first charged him with third degree murder, which essentially is the same type of murder. If you're texting and driving and you hit somebody, Mm -hmm. you're still going to go to jail. Right. But you didn't purposely hit them. Yeah. So the uh, Keith Ellingson, I think, is the DA. He came and changed it from third degree to second degree, which now means that this cop killed him on purpose. But now it's a worse thing because yeah, now they yeah. have to prove that. So now when they have these jurors come in, what, 12, what is it, 12 or 11 jurors, whatever, they're going to come in. And let's say three of them say no way because like when I look at that video, I think the cop killed him. But I don't think the cop was killing him on purpose. So like if I was a juror and I take like let's say I take the media and everything out. Right. And try to like whatever I think in my mind when I'm looking at that, 
I could see myself like, yes, third degree, yes, he's guilty because he killed him. The dude was asking for help, so on and so forth. At that point where I seen the video, he does not seem like he's struggling anymore. He's asking for help. But second degree, it'd be really difficult for them to sit there and say like, yes, he purposely killed him. And when those dudes are found innocent, yeah, it's going to come back to say, hey, exactly. this whole system is screwed up. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing that happened with Trayvon Martin. Exactly same thing, right? His charges got dropped too high. I mean, he got you know charged, charged with the wrong high. thing. He didn't go through, and there's all of this like Trayvon Martin. Like, that dude should have been in jail, and it's going to happen the same way. And then they're going to – a lot of people are going to look at this and say, hey, the justice system does not work for us. Yeah. But what they don't see is the person who did that like, hey, I'm going to pander to all of you protesters and riots out there. I'm going to come out and give them the bigger charge. Yeah, exactly. right? Let's do it. Right. And I would see like he's probably man. There's there's got to be tremendous pressure on that. Right. Of course. Like there's thousands of people. Right. But after this court goes through, it's going to go right back to where it was because the wrong charges there. You're not going to convince 12 people. And it's again, it's going to be like, hey, look at George Floyd. He was killed on camera and he was never convicted. But they're never, ever going to talk about the charge. Yeah. And, and it's but, a cycle. But people got happy when the charges got upgraded from third degree to second degree. People were, like, celebrating. They're like, look, the protests work. Look, they just, you know, upcharged them. And it's like, man, like, that's dumb because now he has pretty much right now, it's only if you're a betting man, you almost, you kind of believe that that guy's going to go innocent because you have to prove that he planned or like he wanted to kill yeah. him i mean I, I hope i hope he gets convicted but yeah instant gratification uh, uh we are chasing instant gratification to our own detriment um in instant gratification was to charge him up higher but when you when you pace yourselves and uh, go into a marathon it's like okay let's make sure these guys go to jail doesn't matter what the technical term is third degree second degree let's make sure they go to jail let's make sure they get punished and this doesn't happen again and unfortunately it's not looking like it's going to happen what about the idea the the police department the whole idea which well, first i thought it was dumb like defund police departments and i'm like what do you mean just get rid of police departments but i guess on the liberal side the argument is the police department have so much say and hold and influence in the city and county and state and they're so corrupt that the only way to fix it is to scratch it and start from the bottom instead of calling, like I heard a point of view, let's say there's a domestic violence and you're sending a guy that had you know, a high school dropout, let's say a troublemaker, but he couldn't find any other job. So he's like, yo, I'm become a, a cop, you know, like six months training, you know, I'll get good benefits, I'll pay my bills. And so this, you know, let's say anger management has issues guy becomes a police officer. He goes in to do handle a domestic violence issue. And the argument is instead of sending, let's say, a, a cop or say you send a cop and a counselor or somebody can, you know, talk to the family instead of, let's say, in a way, a high school dropout that's going to come in and try to fix a family problem. Next time we escalate. He flips out and... But Vasily, to, to send a professional with a police officer is going to require more money and defunding, a, like you said, the movement to defund um, a police department is counter uh, uh, is counterproductive to that. Yeah, but I guess the idea is to, if you start from scratch, then, then you kind of like, hey, this money is going to go here, this money is going to go there. And I'm just being a devil's advocate. I don't know this stuff. But kind of one of the arguments is that you when you start... It's not the issue of spending money... But if you spend, let's say, $5 billion on a police department alone, but there is no, let's say, health and psych help, then you're just going to send out, you know, a thousand guys are dealing with families and issues and kids, but you're not spending money 
you know, for somebody to like talk to them and you know try to fix the problem at home instead of just putting handcuffs and taking them to jail or whatever. I think. Um I mean, if you look through the history of America, the, just the police in general, there's a long history of corruption with police. Mm-hmm. Obvi- and I'm not, obviously, I'm not saying they're all bad, but you look, look way back, like way back to even to the early 1900s into the 1800s, like in the big cities like New York, L.A., there's a lot of cases of big corruption where the police would cooperate with like organized crime, um, and for, you know, just... Like full on. Yeah, there's, like- there's a lot of history of that. And... I would support. I don't know. I, I'm sure you guys have seen on Twitter the people are like ridiculous. Like to be, become a barber, you need two years of school. To become a police officer, you need six months of school. You know. Yeah. I would agree that you would obviously need more certifications, more education, because like Ramona was saying, like a social worker. I mean, Ramona is what like four or five years deep into school to become a social six, worker. Six years. Six deep. years. Yeah. Yeah. That's to become a social worker, and she works with people at the hospital, um, mo- mostly. You know, and that's helping. You know, they're in crisis. This and that. A police officer will come into your own home, you know, if there's like a somebody suicidal, if there's domestic violence or or even just regular violence. This guy's coming in with six months of ex- with of like very basic education. He's coming in and he's, you know, they we're trusting this guy to to solve this issue yeah. where, you know, someone like a social worker who can actually help takes six years. So I'm a big proponent. I think it's it'd be a good idea to make becoming a police officer a more difficult and like a higher yes, achievement. A more, a more but, attractive job with higher qualifications. But then needs to be higher pay as well. Yeah, higher pay. Right now let's say if it's lower pay, but it's such a high risk and maybe sometimes it's not even a high risk, but it's like an annoying job. You're only, or most well, of the time well, you're dealing with like trouble and issues and families and all that stuff. But then you're getting a pay where let's say if you can say, let's say some people go for, you know, trying to, you know, help the community and stuff. But let's say if you're, let's say, any guy would be like, you know what? Why am I gonna get you know sixty grand being a police officer and only working with like the most difficult? Sixty situation? grand, that's uh, the biggest city in the state. You're talking more about forty five grand. Yeah, and then, so then like you yes. will have let's say if no, you're no, like a more no, no no I know in Auburn in Auburn I did ride along with the police, starting as a new like lowest ranked police officer. You're making middle six sixties. Uh, I I know. You can be a sheriff within like five, six years and move to uh, what what they what police officers often do is they they become a police officer and they make say starting is like around sixty, but what they do is they put in time, put in work, and then they you get pay grades as you go because it's a freaking government city job. Very often, where do you see cops living? They live in like high end middle class areas, like even Bonnie or like super nice neighborhoods, expensive homes because they're making a good salary. I don't think the pay. Well, I, I, I think in my like experience or I guess looking up say police salaries, they make pretty dang good amount of money because they also put in overtime. They also put in. It's a government job. Government employees, they get paid. They make I don't, crazy yeah. money. And I don't, I don't think they, they like majority of the time they're not fighting crime and, in my opinion, no, no, I, from I, I what can, I see, I can attest. To yeah, that. when I do, Dude, you drive around like driving home from work, driving to work, um, driving on a Saturday, Sunday. What do you see a cop doing? You, He's driving in his lane. He, what is he fighting? Fighting those- crime? I talked to my my wife is a barista. She, she makes she's a manager at a coffee stand. She's like, dude, these homies they pull up in the morning. They sit there in the parking lot. They do their reports, whatever the heck. Are they fighting crime? No. They're getting coffee. If we had, if she had donuts, they'd be getting the donuts. 
They're not fighting crime ninety percent of the time. They they put in work. It's a very it's a risk it's a risky job, right? We can all agree it's a risky job. They should get paid more, but I don't think they're out there freaking fighting. Okay, so freaking, it's like be- a firefighter. Is he fighting fires ninety percent of the time? No, he's rescuing four, kittens. Like four percent yeah, of the time. Forty percent of the time he's fighting fires. Ninety percent of the time he's 96. taking out overweight people out of their beds because they're suffocating from their heart disease that they're obese about, right? Yes, there should be say an incentive to be a cop. I think there's plenty of incentive right now if people knew that, hey, you can be a sheriff within like six, seven years and you can make six figures. Because it's a government job. And do like a higher. So I guess the argument is to to have like a higher entry level. Well, like the higher. Where's the last for words? Where it's like it's harder to become. Where people that do become police officers and sheriffs, they're I guess more educated and trained. Yeah. So let's say like a loser that dropped out of school. I guess it's hard or you know almost impossible for him to become a police I, officer. So then you then don't have let's say. The dropout loser dealing with yeah. people that are having, you know, I don't, family issues. I don't even th- say, I don't think necessarily cops are the dropout loser because I think the cop training is pretty strenuous, even though it is six months or whatever the police academy is. They still have a pretty thorough vetting process. They do background checks, they do physical checks, they do uh, academic checks. So I think it's pretty strenuous, but I think right now in the situation we're in, we're in the time we're in, where police are scrutinized and under the freaking microscope with the media and people, I think right now would be the perfect time to raise training to say a year academy or say require a bachelor's to get in because I think there's there's 360 million people in the U.S. like, okay, make make academics or make requirements to become a cop a little more, say, bigger requirement to become a cop now. Maybe even say raise yes. the yes. I'm all for that. Price but, pay for that, right? Yeah, that, that, that's what I was gonna say. I'm all, I'm all for that. Police officers should be trained more and bigger and whatever. But that that would not work unless you raise the incentive for that either, which is pay. I know. Um, and right now, a lot of a lot of people take sides to where Democrats are anti-police, or I mean, think you know like. And Republicans are like pro blue li- blue lives matter, and uh, and the Democrats are Black Lives Matter. But I, it, it's all it's all bipartisan. To, Democrats and Republicans together decide to cut cut funding for police departments, cut funding for schooling, cut funding for this, cut funding for that for the military or whatever. It's uh, they're all they're all in this together. Let's not pretend that but, it's. But a, that's the thing. I think right now, where that's what I thought too. Like, oh, the Democrats are saying this. But a couple, like, you know, quote-unquote liberal, you know, friends that I talk to, and I'm like, well, what about Obama spending, like, 24 times the amount of money on police departments and militarizing the police department than Bush did? But I guess right now when you talk to, you know, I guess in general to, you know, quote-unquote liberals, they understand that point. They're like, they're not justifying Obama, and the, and that's what they're like. He has nothing to do with Republican and Democrat. And they're at the level, they're like, yeah, we know that Pelosi, Biden's, they're all in the same train where it's funding, money, everybody's getting paid, and they're all kind of in the same boat of, like, corruption and more money to militarize the police and everything else. So they're not even fighting against, you know, Trump's bad, but they're more like government is screwing us over type of deal. So we want to just burn it all down and start from scratch type of deal. So that's that was my, one of my, like, arguments. I'm like, yeah, what about Obama? You know, you think Democrats are so great. 
And yeah, and a couple of them, they're like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. We think Obama is just as bad because they're all in the same, I guess, boat, and they're not arguing that. But, but yeah, their thing is the police department is so corrupt that we need to burn it down and start kind of like, it's 2020, let's rethink what does policing the community should look like. That's, I guess, the, their argument. So we always need police officers, and the reason Russia is so corrupt is because nobody takes their police officers seriously. We need to have more respect for our police officers. We need to have hold them in high esteem. We need to have a society to where police officers do have authority because in Russia, nobody has, like, I lived in Russia, and my dad talks about it. Police officers ha- hold no power. Um, when they get pulled over, they get laughed at. They get called musur or all stuff like that, and that is a very bad place to be in. And I agree but, with you. But in Russia, that's also because there's so much corruption. Because right, the right. And, but we do have a lot of corruption mafia. here too. We have a lot more yes. corruption here. But than not you to think. the level where you get pulled over and you will put a twenty yeah. in your passport. <laughs> right, it's, 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 it's not go. to that level. But or I if think your license plate has seven seven seven, the cops won't even bother you. Right, yeah, that's gangster, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no. saw homies rolling canned with seven seven seven. I'm like, and apparently it costs like two grand to get a license plate. Well, I, I what I'm saying is we should have a hold of police officers in a higher esteem, but we have uh, we keep cutting money for a lot of things like that, like education and the police officers, and we keep spending it more on them. Uh, I forgot what it's called. It, it's on it's on the military, and I think uh, uh, like if you get to the root root of the issue, Eisenhower when he was stepping down, he spoke against the military. He said it's a the military industrial complex. Yeah, yes, we uh, the military industrial complex is what's eating up a lot of our taxes because the profit margins get higher and higher. The missiles are not getting more expensive to build, but the people that build the missiles are getting more and more greedy type of deal. That's, I, I, in my opinion, is the root of the problem is the military-industrial complex. What does that have to do with police? Because they eat up most of our budget. Bro, Roman needs a whiteboard. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I'm, ser- I, I, I'm dead serious. That eats up most of our budget and our tax revenue. I agree with Roman, but that's like a, it's such a complicated, yes. huge thing to get into. Yes, but we need more money into... We need more money into public... We need more money into public sec- a sector, but not the business military sector, basically, uh, because the, there's a pie and the the, uh, the 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 pie that's fixing our roads and funding our police departments and schools is getting smaller, and the pie that people are profiting from building missiles is getting bigger. That's really, really all it is. So you think that's you think that's the root of the problem? Is we need to make military like weapons cheaper and that will fix no, it? No, just America hasn't been in a war for a long time, so we got so much stockpiles, so now they're trying to sell it to the police departments and the citizens. <laughs> Basically, America just needs another war, which they're itching for. But we've been in I a war a for like years. Like we we're like in a couple wars right they, now. They need more. It's not enough, bro. <laughs> so more question. wars is the ever since is the solution. <laughs> ever since World War Two. And the development of the industrial or military industrial complex. America thrives on military action. I'm surprised that Trump didn't get into any major wars because I thought he was so trigger happy when he was starting. Because like an old school white guy, and I've, I felt like he was like itching to bomb some country. North and I'm Korea. surprised. Yeah, like even North Korea, I thought he's gonna do it just for the heck of it, just to be like, yeah, we bombed the heck out of them. So you I'm gotta surprised. understand that, say even a lot of countries are in the same position as us. It's like they're doing well. They don't. Why would you start a war if you're doing pretty good? But I, I got a question. I opened up Twitter and I got a notification. Minneapolis City Council votes to dismantle the police department, vows to replace it with a community-based public safety model. Vows. Yeah. But my question is, what what exactly does it mean, say, I, I don't know what you guys read exactly, say, in the time that we're in right now, on what say uh defunding the police department really is because i did read an article and i read uh article i think it was like washington post too that 
uh, Baltimore during the riots in I think 2015 in Baltimore. Mike Brown. Yeah, they. I think it was uh, Martin or what's that guy's name that got shot? Trayvon Martin, Martin that got shot. He was they, in Georgia. Yeah, but I think Baltimore had the riots, and Baltimore decided to say defund, uh, quotation mark defund the police department, and they so they took some money from the police department, in which it resulted in some of the neighborhoods being like less policed and trafficked and kind of socially profiled and the crime and crime rates went like shot through the freaking roof in those areas and then the article i read is like people talk the the reporters from that from washington post talk to residents and like neighborhoods in those areas and the people the residents in those areas were like hey they were backtracking in like same situation as right now they were backtracking like hey we actually want the police like we want just we want the good cops we say don't necessarily want to defund the police we just want to like eliminate the bad guys eliminate the bad cops that are say shooting our residents or shooting african americans and say allow policing but justify justified policing in those areas so, like i don't know if i i guess i want to ask like what have you guys read as as far as like what exactly is defunding the police or is that like taking money from a certain say area in the public in the city and transferring it to say i don't know educational purposes from the police station or is that throwing money at the police station to educate the police station you know what is that kind of entitled or like as as far as funding for police goes i think they could use some cutbacks i know in auburn cutbacks. these homies Every time there's a new model of the Ford Explorer they police interceptor, it, they got it like that. I don't even know what to do with the old ones, like throw them away. But they got the newest gear, the newest cars. Uh, I think they can maybe use a little pullback on the on the Dude, spending. I, I but texted. but as far as policing, so there's a super interesting podcast uh, episode by Malcolm Gladwell in Revisionist History, and he talks about the history, uh, kind of like the brief history of policing, whereas up to a certain point, police were very like go out and find crime. Where like they would pro- there was a lot of profiling. They had like they literally had booklets. There was a booklet made by some guy, and it's like these are the people that are most likely to be carrying drugs or carrying illegal weapons on them. Baggy clothing, you know, colored skin, this and that. And for a long time, that was happening. And then in a city, a facility. Do you remember? Did you listen to that episode of Revisionist History about police? Which one? I forgot. But it was the one about the police. How like the police tactics and. Uh, do you remember that one? I think it was, he was talking about the chapter from his book, uh, Talking to Strangers. Cause or maybe that's what it was. He addressed well, a lot. Basically, so I forgot what city it was. I don't know if it was Baltimore, but some city somewhere, they were having such a big problem with you know with crime and policing, so they started doing They hired some kind of a firm that does this kind of stuff, and they came, they researched everything, and they tried started trying new things out. So I, if I remember correctly, the biggest factor that they found to reduce crime is not police action or police intervention, but just police presence. So... A police driving through a neighborhood three times a day automatically lowers the crime rate by like 50%. If the police is driving down the street and looking for somebody to pull over or to arrest, that doesn't help. But just a police presence there. Stop and frisk was one of the worst policies. Yes, stop and frisk. That's what it was. So I think... That was New York. Was it New York? Yeah, well, it started in New York. It started in New York. But it spread everywhere. Other cities started implementing it, but it was super ineffective because they found out the crime, like, it was literally narrowed down to like, three, four blocks, and instead of say the majority of crime would happen within like three, four blocks, 
and not anywhere else. But then if you pull over, let's say 95% of the people get pulled over all over the city and you're trying to, for any reason, search their car, and then you find super, you know, small stuff. People get irritated because, you know, people are, you know, stressed out about life. And so most of the time, the people get in trouble and not necessarily criminals, but normal people that, like, with a broken turn signal or whatever. But, yeah, it was very ineffective because, legit, most of the crime happened within a couple blocks. And But then, you know, the whole city kind of, like, starting to hate cops because, you know, they get pulled over for, like, the tiniest thing. Yeah. And then they get searched as well. So it was really, like... I think my quick, like, meager idea is I think um, police presence is a big thing, but also community outreach. I think there's also, I think you talked about, like, in communities where the police were much more involved with the community, where it wasn't just like, oh, man, those are the cops, we're scared, you know, they're the cops. But, like, when the police would go out into the community, do things with the citizens, and it was more of a, hey, these guys are actually our friends. And also, on like, to add to that, the, the people would become more uh, willing to report crimes to the police, too. I mean, when the police is a scary guy... You're not going to report something, you know, because you're scared of the police. Yeah, because he'll arrest you too. But you know, in communities where the police are more involved and more of like a a community friend rather than a community, you know, like watchdog, then you know, citizens are more likely to come and they be, hey, I noticed this was going on. I just want to tell you guys, I'm not, you know. And the police would kind of friend in a in a good way, big. Thank you for the tip. We'll look into it. Yeah. And instead of just frisking people, and if you say anything to the police, they're so going to start. Go even again, even with police and everything, because again, police uh, arrest you, but he can't lock you up for three or five years. So on a more bigger scale, whatever gets incentivized, that's what people focus on. And again, that's where more bigger issue. We have the whole privatized prison and jails thing. So if I, you know, get my homies and we build a $100 million jail and we, you know, my incentive is how do I make money is I need more people in jail. The more people in jail, the more money I make as a businessman because it's privately owned prison or jail. Okay, I need leads for, you know, quote unquote clients for me to make money. Who would I go to? Who's my best lead generator? A freaking, you know, prosecutor because the prosecutor gets to decide for how many years you know, somebody gets locked up for. And then so if I have enough, you know, money to build a prison or jail, I have enough money to, you know, sugar, you know, coat and, you know, suck up to a prosecutor, you know, in the middle of Auburn. And that's kind of like, told you, like a big issue. Because even if you get arrested, if you get let out, because let's say one thing is even, let's say, right now in New York and those cities, private prisons, there's people that legit sit for months and months in jail waiting for their court date because they can't afford bail. And again, because it's incentivized. The longer he sits in jail, the more some homie makes money in his own pocket. So again, if you would say, what if you start from that, let's say from a big umbrella when it comes to prisons, and what if we were incentivized that the less people in jail, the more money, you know, some go somewhere, whatever, somebody benefits. Okay, then we would do everything possible to make sure that somebody gets in jail. Yo, yo, let him out. He's probably innocent. We got to make sure he gets out. And then if anything, we'll come get him again. Because, again, when it comes to the like, black community and like in lower-income people, one of the issues is, let's say you're a working dad, you're driving, you have a, you know, some weed on, on you. You get pulled over, you get locked up, and you can't afford bail. You're sitting for three, five weeks waiting for, for court date, and then you can't get out, and then you lose your job, and it kind of escalates because we're incentivized to keep people in jail as long as possible. Serge, what do you think? So you work for the Federal School District. You're kind of a community, you know, a part of the community sort of outreach. You deal with the kids, you deal with the families. 
schools are a pretty big part of the community. I'm sure you have a lot of dealing with the police. What What are your thoughts? So, like, as far as I know, all middle schools and high schools have, like, an outreach program, which is, like, a person they can reach out to um, with whatever issues they're dealing with. Um, I know that just police aren't seen in a, in a positive light. So a lot of it has to do from, like, years and years of, like, hey, you know, I got put to jail for three weeks for having a 20-sec on me. Exactly. Where, you know, so, th- so there's this, like, history of, you know, this going back many, many years, right? So a lot of it's there's no trust, I think, that we need to have in those communities. They need to have police officers that, like, represent them more, like more black police officers, um, you know, things that – like, for example, when we came to America, we probably would never call the cop if somebody, like, hit our car or, like, maybe a window got broken. But if we knew if we called the cop and the Ukrainian dude, right, showed up, we would be more open to them, right? We would trust them more as opposed to, like, them coming up here, uh, you know, some random dude coming up here. We're like, are they going to yeah. believe us? You know, like, we're not in a situation. We're not privileged, right, especially when we came to America. We had we had a lot of fears, too. Yeah. Like, you know, don't get me wrong, not the same as, you know, some of the black people they have, but we, we were discriminated against. Like, we didn't do certain things because of who we were, but... You know, it's just a long history, and you know who, who knows when that's going to change. But the fun in the police hurts these communities, like Baltimore. I think you, Roman you mentioned, like they had a spike in crime, right? Yeah, like, yeah. These police officers, like they cut budgets. They said, you know what, this is the, you know, city council or whatever. This district over here is the one that was pushing against it. Will provide less resources here, and those crimes spike up, right? So it's just it's an ongoing thing. It's like, and there's no perfect solution for it. Yeah, because it's a super complex problem. If it was like, hey, pass this policy and all these problems will be solved, but it's kind of yin and yang. You do one thing, affects another, and it's such a big part of our community that you can't just cancel it and hopefully to build from ground up. You kind of have to, you can't, you know, burn it down and defund it. You have to reform it. Is it going to take a long time to reform it because it's so like ingrained in our community and all of those things? All yeah, probably a lot longer than we would want it to be, but maybe with these protests and everything, maybe it's going to speed it up a little bit. All the things we touched on from from uh, privatized, uh, from privatized prisons to military-industrial complex, it all requires literally burning down the system and re- rebuilding it, and I feel like... Um, it's kind of unrealistic. We just—I feel like we just have to make the best, uh, the best. Somebody's fumbling a, with their mic a lot. Can we? The best out of a bad situation. Yeah. No. So yeah, but I yeah, that's kind of one last bit. I think another thing that's kind of detrimental to all this stuff, to any kind of change in America. America's great. You know, we're a democracy, but the biggest, I think, weakness in our way of system or in our system is uh, any elected official in any position, whether it's the president, Congress, whatever, are. Time frames are very short. You know, you're president, you have four years to make your mark, otherwise you're out. Yeah. You know, and even best case, you have eight years if you get reelected. And that means you have to make these changes really fast. And, they, you know, and if the results don't get, you know, there's things, big issues like this can take years, 10, 20, 30 years to make, you know, big, solid strides and change to make things better. But when you only have four years to make something, you know, everything's kind of quickly put together and you want to just instant gratification. You want to push it all out as fast as you can and start the same kind of results. And then, you know, four years is late, four years later, you're out, somebody else is in, and now they're trying to prove their point and trying to make their change, and then they disassemble everything that you made and start doing something else. So I think, uh, I think that's just for everybody to be aware of. These big changes that we want, these are things that take sometimes a lifetime to change. Um, and when we have these short, you know, politicians 
or whatever position you hold. You're there for four years, and uh, you know you don't have that much time to make the difference. And because the next guy's automatically going to have his own agenda, he's going to try to push yeah. his own thing. He's going to scrap all your stuff. So ultimately, it all comes down to us, the people who vote. Because we're the ones who vote all these officials in. We're the ones who really drive these changes. But the argument is that, like, the whole voting doesn't, like, help. Because it's, like, takes so long. And kind of the whole, yeah, repo- uh, uh, Republicans of the whole system. But, Sergio got to be out. So, Sergio, thanks for coming. Thank you for it. Yeah. I got to give my wife a foot massage at 11. <laughs> oh. Yeah, man. Hey, hey, that's what happens when she has a law degree. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your perspective. It was, it was awesome. Right, Sergio, that was true, yeah. Bro. That was nice. See you later, man. Bye-bye. I got a thing for, uh, so look, well, I listened to a couple podcasts over the weekend. So in the U.S., right, is like a social experiment. Now, back when we freaking balanced the British Empire and the Mayflower shipped over here to the New World to freaking find new land, it was like, hey, is this going to work or not with no king, no queen, blah, 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 blah. At what point does this... uh like, it's been going pretty dang well, da, until, like, say, I don't know, the 2000s. Has it, though? Like, yeah. which part? Like, during Bro, slavery it, it, or which part? What do you mean? Uh, everything. Like, during New- slavery was, like, pretty good times? No. I, I, I'm with, I'm okay, with Roman, time out. Look, slavery. No, I guess what period of time are you talking look, about? Okay, pause. Pause at the slavery part. Sl- yeah, this you're getting w- trouble in this one, No, no, no. This is what grinds my gears. Slavery was big literally everywhere. White people, Irish people were slaves in different parts of the world. Like, not only African-American and black people were slaves. Different, like, different color people were slaves in different parts of the world. Like, white people were probably slaves in Africa. White people were probably slaves in Asia. Asian people were slaves Where in... Where were our grandparents slaves at? Our, oh, there, there was there was a servitude. There was, uh, there was servitude in Russia to where you were you were uh, a slave. Uh, poor people were slaves to rich people until they worked off their yeah. debt, and that would never happen. And that would pass on to their children. They were literally slaves of uh, richer people. It was well, I guess I, d- I, I never remember like my grandparents talking about like their parents being slaves. Yeah, well, because they got over it. It's not that they were uh, they weren't talking about. But it. But in America, it was literally sixty years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. My but, point but in in Russia, it was like during the Romanov, which is a little bit more than six years ago. How many? Like, like whatever the Romanovs were, that's when they... Uh, 1914. Yeah, 1914. It was it was a system of servitude to where people were slaves to other people in Russia. But my point, I'm not talking about slavery. I'm talking about like America. We, we came in, when was it? I don't know, 1700s. We came to the New World where no one inhabited it except the Indians, the... The fireworks indigenous selling stand. People, bro, yeah, indigenous, not Indians. indigenous, the indigenous people. people, the fireworks, Fourth of July Indians. They they were here, right? So my point is, like, we were here till a 2000, 2010, whatever. Today, at what point in time does segregation of state and like federal, you know, at what number of like population amount does this thing work? You know, like at what number? Does a certain state with different opinions from the federal government decide like, hey, we are way opposite of the thinking of the feds. Like, we are ready to secede. Well, Roman, go back throughout that, history. Any major civilization. The Romans were around for hundreds of years. I think it does, That's my years. question. Like, is this a time where like, we're like... I don't think we're there yet. No. Hey, dude. 
No. Yeah, Rome no. existed for I think uh, 1500 years. Yeah, the Romans were Rome was like the world superpower okay, for over a thousand that, years. We're talking about Rome specifically. What about say other countries in the world throughout the throughout the age of time? Like Spain, how many years on Spain, average? Uh, several hundred years. Like Spain and Portugal used to be world dominating powers, and now what are they? They're two broke, bankrupt countries next to each other. Not Spain. Well, Washington pretty to be big. broke. Spain is, yeah, has like a hundred percent unemployment like rate. Your life, you go to Spain. Yeah, if you have money, because you can afford it. Yeah. But then well, if you're Spanish, then yeah. yeah. No, Spain, Spain is broke, and so is Greece. Yeah. But like, if Britain you're Spanish, too. you're chilling. Because Britain. you got so much you generational mean? wealth. You own so much shiz that you uh, do. No, Listen look. to different podcasts. <laughs> no, dude. If if you're Spanish, I went to Italy. I went to Venice. Lit- no, I'm, no. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> but I went to Italy, da. A lot of people that live there, a lot of people in Italy, they literally they own the buildings outright because of generational wealth. Like their parents, their but parents, what's, what's parents, the their parents, parents, parents. Pa- yeah, most of the Italians. No, yes, every Italian owns a building. Not every, but most. And then the immigrants, yeah, because Italian bro, no, look up, can't. look up the unemployment rates in Europe, in these countries, in Spain, my, in my Italy. Point, but you don't need to work if you own a building. <laughs> no, but look, my point is the Italians that w- that were there, they own stuff. They're wealthy, but yeah, the immigrants that come in from different countries. There's not just Italians there. There's Europe people from is not a, like a wealthy place to live in. in I'm not general. saying oh, Europe overall. I'm saying like these countries like Italy. They have a lot of history. They have a lot of Bro, wealth. Gen- generational wealth gets burned away really quick. Yeah, your parents yeah, can be billionaires. Per- a small percentage plus gets burnt away. So like you don't want to bet on that. Like oh, my country's fine. Because all these grandpas are handing over, handing over buildings or whatever. But my my thing is like my not my question, but like I guess my question is: This the time where say different states are like, hey, this is our opinion on things. This is our opinion on things. The feds like all this chaos going on. Like certain states are probably going to form their own opinions with their own population. Say Texas. It's literally like what sixteen mil or how many people? Did, did, did you ever hear about the Civil War? But, huh? but, but that was that was way before. How many people? What was the population of the, with the Civil War? That was way no, back I, when. I think, a lot of people I think died. That's the beauty of America, to where every state is a little bit different, but altogether we're we're not we're not the country of America. We are United States of America, to where we're. We're individual, but we're just like kind of have each other's back. Really. But my my like, question like is, like blue state, like Washington State, the Democratic state, Washington State has has the Texas's back, and Texas, the red state of Texas. Uh, I don't think there, that. Yeah. I don't think Washington has Texas's back. My question is, like, to what point, like, population number to like people are like, hey, yeah, screw you guys, we're gonna do our own thing. We're completely like I don't think it's a matter of population. I think it's just a matter of, and even then, America is like one of the biggest, uh, like you said, experiments currently in the modern age. Because well, you can go way back, and there was the first. There was the countries like Rome, where there you know empires, emperors, and then there's the monarchs of Europe came, and you know at one point Britain owned like controlled so much of the world where there's a saying that the sun never sets on the British Empire because they basically around the globe the sun was always shining somewhere on the British Empire and now what are they they're one island in Europe and they're not even doing so great and it's um, but America's the first country where we basically when we came when the when the first settlers to America came they were still part of England they came on the king's behalf they came they settled and th- that was all technically still Britain but it got to the point where 
the colonies were start, they were being mistreated so much by the king, so they all just decided like, hey, we're done. This is our own thing. This is America. And if you have a problem with it, stop us. And they tried to stop them, and they couldn't, and America was born. Um, and for us, we're the first, I mean, I guess Rome was a republic too, but eventually Rome fell, Rome fell apart too. And why was that? Because they kind of got overexpanded, they became very corrupt, and they started breaking their own rules that made them great. So my, so my question is, at what point in time, at what we are headed there, we time? are headed there, but I think there's still a lot of hope for America. I think because ultimately we, the people, we drive these decisions. And I think people just, I don't know, I feel like I've been saying this a lot the past two episodes, but ultimately we, the people, we have the power. And when we forget that or we pretend that it doesn't exist, that's when thing, these things going to happen. But right now is the perfect time. The nation is outraged. There's all these people pissed off. Now is the time to take the power that we have as the people through voting, through elections, and to fix these things. If not, then the corruption will just get a little bit worse, a little bit worse every year. And eventually, it will get to the point where there's a full meltdown of the system. Right. When it comes Obama. to voting, do you think Obama's going to, I mean, Obama, Trump's going to dominate the voting, or it's going to be like a closed voting? Um, I think it's going to be closed because we, we're just going to have to pick best of two really bad options. But what, uh, what, to get back to what uh, Mari was saying, um, it's just sad that... I agree with you. We have this opportunity. People have been cooped up at home, quarantining. This injustice happened. And now instead of us brushing it off because we have to go to work, uh, people are outraged. But I feel like we are not taking advantage of the opportunity because, um, as we were saying earlier, there's a, lo- a lot of things that um, um, like th- this whole movement um, – like a lot of things are being done and a lot of things that are being called for are very counterproductive to what can be done. And I feel like um, we have not taken that advantage of, the, of this opportunity, like defund the police and stuff like that. It's very counterproductive. And I I am very pessimistic now about the outcome. It was a, It was a great opportunity. It was a good start. I feel like it was the right time, right place, right moment. But I feel like we're going to go back to status quo because – I feel uh, the movement kind of veered off off of a good direction. Yeah, they got that, that, these protests definitely got hijacked. Yeah, and uh, yes. the, the peaceful protests they kind of wanted to be heard and hopefully you know some in something some reform some change, but it got hijacked. But I think at the end, again, the government has more finances and more will to endure all of this and kind of wait it out and kind of who blinks faster. And, and we, the public, people, tend to blink faster. Yeah, yes. and public still has to attend the day. They still have to feed their family and you know, pay their rent and pay their bills and all that stuff. And government can they can hold out forever and kind of like wait. They they have enough money. Their bills are paid. They're getting their paychecks. Right, and that's the, I think that's what it comes down to. I recently watched uh, a movie. It's called The Patriot with Mel Gibson, and he's basically during colonial America when the British are you know trying to take or when this whole the Revolutionary War was kind of happening. He was a farmer in somewhere in Virginia, and when there was started being talk of war with the British, he was like, "Hey, I have a family. I'm. I do not want to be." He was like a war hero from you know some other battles that he fought on behalf of the British. But he was like, "Hey, I'm here. I got a family. I'm just trying to do mine. You know, stay in my bubble, and I'm just trying to go clock in, clock out, come home, have some food, watch some Netflix, hang out with my kids, and you know, and that's it. I don't want to get involved with this crazy stuff. That's that's too much for me. I don't have." You know, I'm not able to be involved in that right now, and I think that's where a lot of people. I mean, obviously, I'm adding to that. They didn't have Netflix back yeah. then, but but then it, it came to the point in the movie where he did not like he did not want to get involved, did not want to get involved, and then 
he was basically sucked into the conflict and one of his uh, kids were shot by the British. And then he was like, okay, now I'm in it. And basically, you know, obviously it's a fictional movie, but he basically yeah. won the whole war because of him. But uh, our current situation right now is too many people are just too apathetic where they're, they care for five minutes, but then when it comes to, you know, voting, making real change, they're like, ah, oh, it's not even going to change anything. It's not going to happen. It's not worth it. Yeah. One day it will come. Where people are going to be so uncomfortable, they're going to be squeezed out of their comfort zones, and they're going to have right now? no, 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 not by a mile. I, I, I agree with Mario. We're, we're not there yet. Yeah. One day will come where people will, you know, there'll be like a revolution. That day will come at some point. I don't know if that's in five years or a hundred years. A, a, a revolution done wrong can be a terrible thing because of, there's always a power vacuum. Also, just look at Mother Russia. Yeah, but, yeah, no, but yeah, Mother Russia or Mother Ukraine. No, no, I'm I'm talking Ro- Roman's Russian. Russian. I'm saying actually, I, I, I'm uh, giving you guys I'm giving you guys a bad example. There there was oh, it's a, a good example. No, it's a bad example. A, a, there was a like we were talking about slaves back then. Russia had slaves and there were poor people. It was a servitude. It was basically kind of like a loan, but like you end up you, the, the 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 owner of the loan ends up owning your kids and they work for them for the rest of your life. It's a whole mess. And that left Bro, the power we in America too. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. But what I'm saying is, it, um, it was a very bad system, and people were right to rebel. But it was done wrong because it was also c- kind of like right now, where uh, this these protests are being hijacked. That revolution got hijacked by the Bolsheviks, and it actually veered off into a very bad direction. And that's why I think we should be very uh, wary of like peaceful protests getting hijacked. Very wary of a good cause getting hijacked. Because let's take let's let's take an example of Russia, to where a revolution where people had were sick and tired of um, the old guard, and it got hijacked by opportunists. And it like like the Soviet Union is a very also a very bad place to be. And to speak to that, I think another issue that's going on right now, well, obviously there's a lot of outrage, a lot of people are upset, but if you compare it to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King back in the 60s with the Civil Rights Movement, there was a face, there was a leader behind the movement. Obviously there's offshoots, you know, like different groups yeah. that were kind of at the same mission, but also more extreme or, you know, or different views. But, but Dr. King, he, he was the face, he was the, the leader, and he led the movement peacefully. Right now there's no leader, there's no clear... George Floyd. He's not yeah, leading no, much I, right now. I, I'm joking. That I, I, I was a know joke. What you're saying. But like even like even uh, compared to Russia, the the communists they had there's there's the Bolsheviks and then there was the what was the other group? I I I don't remember. There was like uh, the Kazaki or whatever, but it, they were part of a different group. But well, there's ultimately there was two groups during the coup right, of and Russia, uh, and b- one Bolsheviks of them, hijacked it, and it was a very bad thing. But yeah, and. Uh, Lenin was the leader at the time and Lenin was a great leader and he led the movement and they dominated the other group and they're the ones that seized control of Russia. V- uh, Lenin emerged later but, but no. Bolsheviks had Lenin got other sh- leader. Lenin got shipped into Russia by the Germans. Right, but Bolsheviks had a different leader at the time. But yes, yes. But, uh, Lenin right. emerged. That, that my, yes. yeah. Yeah. my point is that saying. a leader, there needs to be a leader. Yeah. The, the, civil, the civil rights movement had the that had Dr. King you know, and or you could talk about Stalin. Request. Yes, a specific leader with specific demands, and like kind of like I'm the guy you talk to. Here is what we want. None of us will rest until the, you know. But right now, yeah. there's just yes, yes, that will keep a movement from getting hijacked. I'm 100 percent with you. Yeah, exactly. Because then you have one voice. But right now, we got like you said earlier, different opinions. Everybody wants to ma- like different groups of people want to matter as well now. And then like the biggest thing was when everything was starting. And I think the big, the let's say, I had a question like, okay, protests are happening. What exactly do you guys want? 
uh, you know, police brutality. Okay, how do we change that? I don't know. Stop it. And it was like kind of seemed very vague. Yeah. But right now, but kids, but right now it's slowly starting to like make, um, you know, uh, chisel down to like some sort of you know idea, and it's slowly get, they're getting figured out. Let's say I think the popular one I see. And it kind of makes sense. I think uh, the whole like hashtag eight can't wait. And it's kind of eight policies that like dramatically reduce, let's say, police brutality type of deal. It's like okay, if we, okay, that's just, you know, if we accept these eight policies across the states, this is really going to help. And it's nothing crazy radical. It's like pretty good stuff, and it's not radical. But yeah, but we'll see what where these protests go. Hopefully, you know, something good comes out of this. You know, we get back. But my not hot take, but I think. I guess we can take guesses because my my opinion is the chaos is gonna last all the way up to elections, but they can't drag out this chaos. So there'll be some new chaos. Yeah, new chaoses, and it looks like they're already warming up their hands as far as media for COVID coming back. So I think they're uh, they're gonna fall back on COVID. Yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting if uh, Democrats are gonna blame Republican states for opening up, and and Republicans are gonna blame Democrat states for rioting. It's already happening. Let's say doctors. It's gonna be a fight. Twitter doctors are already posting like, "Hey, let's shoot." That's the hot takes on Twitter. Is yes, we will see cases spike up, but do not blame protesters. Blame Trump. For white supremacy, because of white supremacy, the protests needed to happen. Therefore, the the cases are going to go up. But definitely, it looks like we're going back to COVID, which, which it sucks as far as, like, you know, church gatherings and all that stuff. Businesses opening up, uh, that's going to suck. But I'm sure I there's going to be some new cases. New I think chaos. it'll take a really big, bad return of COVID for them to shut down the country again. Because if they do, we're definitely going well, in for, well, like... Well, I'll say right now, easily, he's announcing... Uh, Phase one Modified, point yeah. five for King County. What is going to just keep announcing like dumb crap, though? And and what are you supposed to do? There for him, it's he he's basically the middle ground because I looked at it last night and it's basically all the things for modified phase one is basically like C phase two guidelines, C phase two guidelines. There's only like one or two things that are like. I'm with Mario. One point five was a, just a political career move. Yeah, yeah. but then but then it's, when it, it's, but when it's what about churches? Like no, they go, it's they go like gatherings. No more than five people outside of household. Protests up to hundred people. It's it, Pro- protests at church. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Legit, with, and, uh, legit, there's a thing where, like, uh, the Blasi in New York, the mayor of New York, he had this like vendetta, has this vendetta against Jews, uh, where he's like, even at the beginning of COVID, like during his speeches, was specifically single out Jews, like, hey, Jewish people keep gathering for prayers. You shouldn't do that. You know, obviously, you know, ten other religions in New York, and you know, they they gather, but he'd always single them out. And he was specifically. I think that's more political because there's yeah. a lot more Jews than you think in New York, and I think that's like one of his biggest like uh, enemies. So he always tries to like make them look bad to promote his own political. But, it's not. But homies, Hold two on. days ago had a Jewish homies had a gathering in honor of George Floyd. <laughs> so they had like a Jewish service. Yeah, but that's just, just one in honor of George Floyd. That's just one part. I agree with Roman and Mar. This is more political than anything. Because, like for example, Inslee in our state, he's pandering to majority liberal people that live in downtown seattle like hey i made the rules these people in the suburbs they didn't follow them i can't really do anything i told them but they're just doing it because it's the people in the suburbs same thing with de blasio in freaking new york like hey maybe he's saying stuff against the jews but how much of the population in new york is jews 
a small minority. So, like, he's doing it to cover his own freaking behind. But in reality, like, it doesn't matter what the heck he says right now. Like, people are going to do their thing. And looking at numbers right now, like, I've been following Toja COVID-19 updates and, like, death rates in the U.S. In the past couple of days, like, before, during the hype of it, and, like, during, say, like, a month ago, it was, like, hovering around, like, 1,500. It was, like, 1,500, 1,300, 1,000, 2,000 some days. Yeah, death rates every day in the U.S. And I've been following, like, every other day nowadays and this it's been like 600 thumb like 800 300 and today well i just pulled it up right now it's like 373 death rate yesterday tipo right now for like covid 19 so it's like the rate is going but down cases are spiking again yeah i don't give, even give, give I, like I don't even tour. yeah but, that'll be interesting to see but we we had our, our last podcast what a year a week ago and right there were protests going on a week ago. Another point cases to make, though. Cases have not... Sp- I mean, ca- I don't think cases have spiked. Death rate has not spiked. Another point to make is that when it comes to protests, this is just private citizen- citizens gathering in a place together. That's very different than, like, let's say, a barbershop. Because a barbershop has you know a license with the county. The, the, the governor has much more power over that because it is a business. Or same thing with churches who have nonprofit status. They have much more power over these things like than more, just more people. Yeah, yeah, than just people gathering. If people but are gathering. Thing you is, can't stop them. Yeah, but then the thing is, the feds or the government, the, the in law enforcement is not enforcing anything against people gathering. But people even in churches, say, if you're a pastor of a church. Pastors are scared to take look, those chances. Yeah, but look, right, but you can, last you, week, you can't arrest six hundred people for gathering in a in a in a group together. But you can't arrest one barbershop owner for breaking or the rules. Or a pastor. Yeah. But that's the point. In Washington State last week, how many churches do we know that got like 150 My people? My lips are sealed. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How many churches that we personally know in the Slavic community gathered at least 150, uh, at least 150 people? How many more churches are there, not even Christians or Baptists, whatever, Muslims? What? Like, <laughs> not even Christians, Baptists. Ha- no, I'm saying... Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying like how many other religions or people or like that organizations gathering. that gathered 150 plus? I bet you a lot. I bet yeah, you no. a, a countless we number. We know it's not being enforced. Yeah, but the point is like, yeah, law enforcement is not enforcing it. Yeah, but. Uh, so, yeah, so it's know, just a political we, thing is yeah, my point. We know it's not being enforced, but then some pastors still want to shy away because they still know that it's in a way illegal. So, yeah, it still makes it more difficult because if it was like a common, like everybody announced, like, you know what, everybody, all religions meeting, you know, but some pastors are still trying to be kind of like, hey, look, this is still illegal. Like, maybe there's still going to be some repercussions. But, hey, it's been a great time. Let's wrap it up. Let's see. On the other side, it's been a great talk. I think these podcasts are dope because this is the kind of conversations that we have outside of podcast, but we get to record them and, you know, have memories. And if you somebody feeling like to... Listen in, but if you're still here, that's dope. Give a follow on Instagram, comment, respond, smash the like button. <laughs> but all right, guys, thank you for being all the way till the end. Much respect. Good night.